This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Every week, we review an episode of the cult classic time travel series and decide whether it holds up to present day viewing. And hopefully, we'll entertain you along the way. Be sure to check us out on our website, fwwquantumleappod.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Fate's Wide Wheel. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome. We have made it. It is time to begin the final season of Quantum Leap here at Fate's Wide Wheel. Dennis, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah? We can't start season five without starting it off right. We should. Fuck you, it's season five of Quantum Leap. It's season five of Quantum Leap, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis did not prepare me for that. <laughs> I mean, that's all this episode is. Oh, man. Quantum Leap, season five. Here we are. Yeah. We're peppy. Please watch us. Which was which was actually, as you've noted prior to this, that was Scott Bakula's idea. Yeah. To, to kind of jazz things up. Yeah. Which is funny because that's the first thing that Jess said when she heard it. Because Jessica tried to watch this with me. It was it was kind of late. She was very tired, so she didn't make it through it. But one of the first things that she said is, "She's like, wow, this is like the jazz version of you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah." Uh, apparently, like Scott Bakula, he felt like all of the other TV shows like redid their theme songs every few years, and he felt right. like that that the show well needed that. It's funny too because being you know a, a big Doctor Who fan, it's one of the things that Doctor Who has continually done is refreshed the the um, uh, opening theme, mm. but it, it's always done. You know, it's the same basic score, much as this is, just a little different. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, the newest one I, I really, really like, actually, um, for for season 11 and 12, I think is, is a really cool remix. I mean, I'm a huge fan of just the original, yeah. no frills, but anyway, as far as, as, far as uh, this goes, I, you know, I don't mind it. I know it gets a lot of hate, but mm-hmm. it, 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 it doesn't really bother me. Um, I think it's a lot of it tied... The fact, like, the episode, it definitely take the, the the series definitely takes a turn for the gimmicks yes. in the last season. Between that, last season, all the gimmicks, the gimmicks didn't work, the show got canceled. And so, like, the theme song represents yes. all of that. Absolutely. I, I think you're right on the money with that, that so much of what happens over the course of this season is it, it, people <laughs> want to use that to sort of chalk it up to, like, the death of the show. It's like, yeah. oh, it's because the theme song changed. Oh, it's because they did gimmick episodes. Oh, it's because he was Elvis. Oh, it's because of, you know what I mean? Like, all of these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Oh, they broke the rules when he went into the Civil War. You know, I, I think that people want to use those as reasons for the show's demise and just rationalizing it in some way. I think that ultimately what it comes down to is, is, let's face it, the show was never a ratings blockbuster. No. Um, it was a critical darling at times. Mm-hmm. You know, it, got, it garnered lots of nominations for stuff, which, you know, whatever your opinion is on awards. Uh, it, I think it won a couple Emmys for it this did. one. It, it won, won, yeah. It won. For, for Lee Harvey Oswald, I right. should say. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I think going into this final season and, and trying some new things, I, over the course of the season, am going to argue for how some of those things worked. I will certainly argue for how some of those things didn't. Sure. This theme song, someone insensitively on the Trek BBS uh, uh, referred to it as as uh, the A-Team theme song uh, having intercourse with the Quantum Leap theme song, only said it in a much more insensitive <laughs> manner. Yes, yeah. Um, and 
I, I remarked to you right before we started that it almost felt a little airwolfy to me. Yeah. Um, you brought up one uh, as well. Oh, I mean, I mean, the original theme song sounded very close to Doogie Howser, mm-hmm. but we kind of moved, yeah. And there's even a little Magnum P.I. flavor to it. Oh, sure, yeah. You know? duh, duh, yeah. The funny thing is, is you almost wonder, had the original plan gone through and Sam leapt into Magnum P.I. and this been the theme song, like, only for that episode... And then, like, the outro would have been the Magnum P.I. theme song or something. Something about that would have worked. Like, yeah. it would have been kind of cool. Yeah. Anyway. But anyway, so let's uh, let, let's touch a little bit before we get into Lee Harvey Oswald, which is the episode we're here to discuss this week. Let's talk about where the show was going into season five. Uh, the show got picked back up for next season in March of 92, the spring before, uh, and Belisario had announced that at the first Quantum Leap convention. Uh, but it was clear that the show was going to have to make some changes to stay on the air. The network was pushing them to do something different. And Lee Harvey Oswald was the first episode in them doing something uh, different. The show underwent some pretty big budget cuts. They went from a eight-day shooting schedule to a seven-day shooting schedule. And they had also gone down from... Uh, they had one of the largest orchestras on the Universal, as part of like the Universal shows. They had like a 72-person orchestra for the show, and they got cut down to five. Funny note about that. Probably however, not for this episode, though. Exactly, because it's actually commented that the Lee Harvey Oswald suite that they created was one of the longest that had ever been created and most intricate in television history. Because it's like a 15 minute long piece of music. Yeah. And that was like unheard of in television. Um, and so it's something that uh, um, they were very proud of for sure. this particular episode. After that, there were five. <laughs> there were. There were. There were and then five. there were five. There were five after that. And uh, there was some personnel to part of the show. I won't go into all that. By the way, I'm pulling all of this from, uh, as usual, Matt Dale's excellent book, Beyond the Mirror Image. Also um, worth noting that the show moved to Tuesdays. Moved to Tuesdays. The show was brought back, uh, even though the, the spring before, some other notable critical darlings were canceled in the heat of the night had been canceled. The Golden Girls had been canceled. Matlock had been canceled. Quantum Leap was brought back, even though it had lower ratings. But uh, the demographics they pulled in as far as sponsors were between the very coveted 18 to 49-year-olds, which in the heat of the night, the Golden Girls and Matt Lockett did not pull in. No, no, they did not. Um, and also it's notable that um, Brandon Tartikoff left NBC. He was the head of NBC. He left to go to Paramount. He was replaced by Warren Littlefield, and he was the one who moved the show to Tuesday Nights. And I had heard elsewhere, uh, Kiss with History, which was like the mini documentary that they did on Quantum Leap a few years after. Uh, Warren Littlefield came in. He never liked Quantum Leap. He didn't understand Quantum Leap. And so he kind of sent it to its death yeah. on Tuesday nights. Years later, he realized, he said that he had made a mistake. Right. Uh, and that he, he should have like done more to let the show stay on another year or two. You know, it's, it's worth noting real quick, because I, I did just want to check on this, because in my memory, it was on afterwards. In the Heat of the Night was canceled on NBC, but CBS picked it up, and it actually ran for two more seasons. I think Matlock also got picked up by CBS yes, for one more season. Yes, it sure yeah. did. It sure did. So, so just worth noting for anybody who's out there thinking like, no, I watched In the Heat of the Night in 1994. Yes, you did, but not on NBC. NBC yes. <laughs> but yeah, because I moved over. And then Golden Girls got canceled, and they did the spinoff, uh, The Golden Palace, with Don Cheadle. And I don't think that even lasted. I think we're okay for not having many memories of the Golden the, Palace. Of the Golden Palace. 
<laughs> yeah. But I saw a thing years ago, whoever executive produced that show said that years later, whenever he sees Don Cheadle, he apologizes for it. You know, I think Don's done all right, though. He's so, done okay. You know, he's yeah. Done all right. uh, he's all right. Yeah. So that's where we were going in, going into the fifth season. Don Belisario, after uh, the premiere, he basically he pulled his team together and basically said, we got to do something different. Basically, go take the director's speech from the plays The Thing from season four, and basically it's like that. Like, if we don't do something desperate, yeah, we're getting canceled. We're doing it in the nude. Nude! Uh, uh, not nude, but we uh, do have a departure. We start off season five with the episode that Don Belisario promised would never happen. Multiple times. He promised this in 1988 before the show even started to air. He promised it again in like, you know, as recent as like 1990, 1991. He had promised that it would never happen uh, in an interview. Um, they, Scott Bakula said in numerous interviews, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to leap into the Texas Book Depository in November 22nd, 1963. Literally said those words in interviews. Um, but times being what they were... Uh, that changed. And the reason why I say times being what they were, and I don't want to chalk this up completely to the desperation of, of garnering, garnering no, no, ratings, yeah. Don Belisario created this episode for what is, in my humble opinion, the worst reason to ever write anything. Um, it was his way of creating a rebuttal to the Oliver Stone film JFK. Not to interrupt. More specifically, because I just watched an interview with Don Belisario this morning. Me that he too. Did in 2015. Yes. He did it to set his 14-year-old son straight. Yeah. Who had just seen JFK. And and came home from the theater espousing all these conspiracy theories to his dad, telling him what had happened. And his dad just came back with like, no, Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of different things over the course of this episode, but let's go ahead and jump into our normal thing. Sure. Uh, we are here today to discuss Lee Harvey Oswald, the season five premiere of Quantum Leap. Uh, it's directed by James Whitmore. Uh, this is his ninth of 14 uh, episodes. Um, in the past, I may have actually remarked that he directed 15 episodes. That's because IMDb and other sources count this as a, uh, two separate episodes. We're going to count it as one episode since that's how it premiered as a two-hour uh, TV movie, basically, season premiere. Um, so we're going to say 9 out of 14. He'll go on to do Trilogy, Memphis Melody, and uh, Mirror Image before this season is out. Don Belisario, of course, is the writer of this episode. Um, believe it or not, it's only his 13th out of 14 episodes that he would actually write for the series. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, he's credited as the creator on every episode. Uh, executive producer probably had a hand in, 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 in a lot of the episodes. Uh, these do not include story buys. This does not include co-written episodes. Just that he wrote by himself. It's his 13th out of 14. Um, or 13 and 14 out of 15 if you're counting it as two separate episodes. Our air date is September 22nd, 1992. Um, this, again, was a Tuesday night. Uh, it aired as a two-hour block of television. Our leap date includes <laughs> March 21st, 1963, uh, October 5th through October 6th, 1957, um, October 7th, 1957, January 6th, 1959. Um, we also go back to April of 63 and then eventually land in uh, November 22nd, of uh, course, of 1963. Sam has, of course, leapt into Lee Harvey Oswald, the first real historical person that Sam has ever leapt into. Uh, this is also the first time that we have anything close to a kiss with history. I mean, this isn't a kiss. This is a full-on snog uh, with history. <laughs> yeah. um, 
Uh, but we haven't seen anything like that in quite a while. Uh, of course, in prior episodes, we've gotten Buddy Holly, Michael Jackson, you know, just to name a few. We'll get a couple more this season, obviously. Um, locations, Dallas, Texas, Atsugi, uh, Japan. Um, we're going to be uh, in California. We're going to be in New Orleans. We're going to be back to Dallas. Uh, and of course, we're also in Stallions Gate, New Mexico on February 14th, 15th, and 16th of 1999. So, yeah. Here we go. TV guy description. Yes. A comic conspiracy incarnates Sam Scott Bakula as JFK assassin Lee Harvey Oswald, whose mind is partly melded with Sam's. It's important to note, I put this on our, our Facebook page and group last night. It's weird, and I, and I like putting things in these terms. We are now recording this episode in 2020, almost as far away from when the episode was produced from the time between when the episode was produced and when JFK was assassinated. Yeah. A product of its times. Without we, a doubt. We, we were a year shy of the 30th anniversary mm-hmm. of the JFK assassination. The 25th anniversary in particular, there had been huge yep. to-do over. Uh, I remember um, that was really my first big exposure. I mean, I was only seven years old, but I remember vividly watching you know, the, the documentaries that were airing. Mm-hmm. There was a special uh, called The Day As It Happened, and it literally started... At the same time, with Cronkite reporting, the president has been shot, going through the whole 24-hour period leading up to Lee Harvey Oswald's assassination, like just, like, minute by minute, the entire actual broadcast from, from you know, mm-hmm. 1963. Uh, my dad actually taped it. So we had these two, like, extended play video cassettes. That's right, video cassettes. Because back in the day, you yeah. could run Extended video cassettes. Play. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you could run them as like SP, LP, or EP. Mm-hmm. And so SP would be like two hours, LP would be like four, yeah. and then but you could get like EPs that would be like twelve hours. Yeah. And the quality was pretty terrible or whatever. So you could get two tapes that would basically be twenty four hours, which we had these two videotapes. There was another like six hour documentary that aired uh, that we also had. So we had like these three video cassettes, and I remember watching them. Uh, a couple of times in, in like the year or two after that. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're enough on the heels of that. Just a few years past that a year shy, uh, of course of the, um, the 30th, as you mentioned, uh, and just a year out, if that from the premiere of JFK, the film, not even a full year. year. Yeah. Yeah. It came out in December, December 20th of 1991. Yeah. Um, it's worth noting that the, that the film, um, Oliver Stone's baby, basically, um, he believed passionately in this, um, wanted to try to expose the, the conspiracies behind, uh, the assassination. Now, I'm going to admit, I've never seen, I've only seen bits and pieces of JFK, mm-hmm. which is weird, because I have the same fascination with the JFK assassination that you did as a kid, but I was not so much interested in the conspiracy. Like, because I had always understood Oliver Stone's JFK that Oliver Stone didn't literally believe what was laid out in the movie. I don't think he believed specifically what was laid out in the movie, partly because a lot of what Jim Garrison tried to bring in his trial had already been discredited or disproven in numerous ways by the time the film was being made. But I think he believed in... It was more that he believed in Garrison's intent. He believed in the idea that one man 
was out there trying to speak against the uh, uh, sort of publicly swallowed version of events. Mm-hmm. And I think Stone has long held that Oswald did not act alone. So whether he believed in the specific content of the film, okay, great. I think his belief is that Oswald did not act alone, that there was indeed a conspiracy. Um, I think he kind of sides on the CIA conspiracy sure. version of things, or at least has in the past mm-hmm. spoken about. Um, it's interesting, of course, to note that when the film came out, it was obviously subject to a lot of criticism and scrutiny. Um, the film that was released in theaters was about 30 minutes. It was, it was, it was cut by about 30 minutes as opposed to Stone's intended version of the film. Um, he, he had like about a three hour, 40 minute cut of the film that he believed was like the version of the film. Uh, studios made him cut that a bit. Um, this isn't a case of studio interference necessarily though. This is more just the studio saying like, yeah, we're not going to release a four hour movie, get it down to about three. Um, which he did. Well, even I read a thing this morning, the thing, when the movie first came out, it was considered a flop. But then they came out it's like, no, 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 it's not a flop. It's just like, the movie even cut down 40 minutes was still three hours long. Yeah. And so they're like, no, it's running less times. So, of course, it's taking in less money. Yes. And it's also worth noting that it did huge business in the home video market. Um, a lot of people bought that two mm. cassette oh, yeah. know, version. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, it would later be released as a um, director's cut, extended cut version on both video cassette and DVD. Um, there's a Blu-ray version out there that's really wonderful as well. Um, the Criterion Channel um, for a while, or no, I think it was on Filmstruck, not Criterion Channel. It was Filmstruck, yeah, because it's a Warner Brothers film. Um, Filmstruck had the extended director's cut for a while. I watched it not too long ago, about a year and a half ago or so. Um, Here's the truth that I feel about the film. The veracity of the film and any Oliver Stone film, for that matter, should always be taken with a grain of salt and questioned. Period. Fair. That said, it is an incredibly moving piece of film viewed as a whole and viewed through the lens that this is a film. And I think that there are a lot of people out there that now, when thinking about the film, choose to view it in that way, as opposed to it being some sort of historical document. Um, it's the same thing with like the Doors film, which actually I don't think is a good movie anyway, as well as being historically inaccurate, but it's kind of the same thing. It's like, if you view this as a film, as opposed to a biography of Jim Morrison, you might come away with something more than if you view it as a biopic. Again, I don't think it's a good film anyway, but that's besides the point. JFK, if viewed as a film, is actually a really wonderful, moving piece of film. Kevin Costner is fantastic. Joe Pesci is incredible. Gary Oldman as Lee Harvey Oswald is downright fucking chilling because he's Gary Oldman and he's brilliant. Like, there's a lot to really love about the film. Uh, And I think that it portraying one man's sort of crusade and the way that that can warp your own point of view is done very, very well to the point where you are left wondering and questioning, like, did Oliver Stone believe any of this? Mm. Or was this more about looking at one man's crusade and realizing at the end that maybe you get so wrapped up in it that you can't see clearly what you're, you know, sure. what, you know what's around you, the evidence. It tells an emotional truth. It really if does. not a literal truth. Yeah, yeah. So all anyway, of that... <laughs> so all of that being said, that was the inspiration... For Lee Harvey Oswald, which uh, it had a lot of several different names. We always like to talk about what the show was called in other countries. In Germany, it was called The Assassination. Um, And it was called a lot of other different things in the U.S. It was called The Oswald Conspiracy during, uh, like in TV Guide and other promotions. Uh, It was also called Leaping on a String. 
leap to judgment. Uh, I think leaping on a string. It's what it's called in the. Um, that's what it, on the on the quantum leap soundtrack where the where the suite plays. Um, yeah. So I mean, yes. Um, it, it may be worth noting also because like this was supposed to be like a rating thing to bring it back in. This episode, the two hour premiere, was lower rated than a leap for Lisa. And the episode that would follow it, Leaping of the Shrew, about a million less viewers. Yeah. I don't know, maybe that was because it was a, a two-hour promotional event? I don't know, that would seem like it would help it more than, than I hurting. think, you know, I, I wonder if people were fatigued at this time. They'd sat with this, you know, the, the explosion sure. of, of, of the conspiracy theories and re-examining it and, you know, television documentaries, news reporting, etc., 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 you know, I wonder if there was a little bit of fatigue surrounding it. Yeah. I doubt that would be the case because people are still hungry for information about this, um, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. But um, it is interesting to note. It, it really is. And you do wonder, did they get a bump in viewers for Leaping of the Shrew because of Brooke Shields? Which we'll talk about next time. Oh, I'm time. sure. Yeah. Uh, now, that being said, before we dig into this episode, let's talk about... Um, some acclaim that this episode got. Yes. It, it did some awards. It won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Single Camera Editing for a Series, 1993. Um, also, the American Cinema Editors Award. Uh, it won an award for that. Uh, and nominations were given for Costume Design. Hello, Jean-Pierre. That's right. And for uh, Outstanding Individual Achievement in Costume Design for uh, a Series. Okay, yeah. So... So yeah, for for the editing and the 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 costumes, and I also thought the 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 special suite, the the, the music was nominated for for something. I thought it had won something, but it's not in here. We'll look that up. We'll come back to it. Yes, we'll fact check that. We'll come back to it <laughs> uh, later on. So you know what. Before we dive into the episode, we're going to kind of like basically like lay out what our general thoughts are about the episode, and then we're going to kind of deconstruct the episode and our thoughts as we go. Totally. Yeah. With our basic recap. You want me yeah. to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, I, as while I was watching the episode, um, it is an incredible reminder as we do this podcast, the effect that time and experience and for lack of a better word, maturity, have on our views, which is another reason why I think it's important to continue uh, our efforts to contextualize the episodes. And I think sometimes we get in the weeds, especially from our 2018, 2019, 2020 points of view, Mm -hmm. and don't necessarily do that on occasion. Um, So... Looking at it from the point of view of an 11-year-old boy who watched this episode, and at that point in his life, even though he's 11 years old, had a pretty decent working knowledge of the assassination, um, I remember being pretty enraptured at times with the episode, but also being a little bored by it when I was 11, quite frankly. Um, Today, watching it now less than 24 hours ago, I was incredibly unsettled and disturbed by this episode on numerous occasions. Um, I'm going to end up, I think, arguing, perhaps, in the discussion that we're about to have, why that's a good thing. Um, 
I think that the episode succeeds on a number of levels, actually. Chief among them being different, being something that we've not seen before from Quantum Leap and exploring new ground in some interesting ways. I think it gets, as I said, it's the worst reason to create art, the reason why Don Belisario did, and I think it gets self-indulgent at times. Um, I think that it gets in its own way, from telling a good story at times. I think it's, as we made a case for Leap for Lisa being a two-parter, you could have done this in one episode, probably. Um, or if you were going to do a two-parter, I think that you, you could have maybe been a little bit more creative about the way that you did it, in particular with who Sam leaps into, and maybe not keeping him Lee Harvey Oswald the whole time, um, or focusing a little bit more on what's happening at Project Quantum Leap. So all that said, I came down at the end appreciating this episode for what it is, but it is certainly an outlier in the canon of Quantum Leap. Um, and, I, and I think that the overall goal of the episode, especially having nearly 30 years now since it aired, is one that could absolutely easily be contested. And I think that any rational human being who looks at the assassination and dives into it, not even deeply, but just a little bit really, would have to be left with the feeling of we're never going to know exactly what happened. I was going to ask, I didn't know if we should discuss this at the start of the episode or at the closer to the end of the episode. Do you have a strong point of view on whether or not you think Oswald was the lone assassin? I go back and forth. I go back and forth a lot. There are times when I think, yes. There are times when I think, no, that there was definitely a wider conspiracy. There are times when I think that maybe it's a little bit of both. Um, the, biggest, the biggest reason why I would side with Belisario is I agree with the comments that he's made before about how the fuck do you keep something like that a secret for this long? You know, with the number, the sheer number of people that would have to be involved to make this work, how on earth do you keep it quiet for such a long time? Um, but then there are other things that come into play, uh, and there are too many things along the way that if I, you know, I posited this to, to Jess earlier today, if I was the defense attorney for Lee Harvey Oswald, had he not been shot and killed by Jack Ruby... All I would have to do is mention the fact that the body was taken from Dallas before an autopsy could be performed, which was required by law. So when Kenny O'Donnell, the advisor to the president, said, fuck you, we're taking the body now, he broke the law. If that's actually what happened, because that's all secondhand, and in doing so destroyed the chain of evidence. Now, if I'm Lee Harvey Oswald's defense attorney, I could score an acquittal. Maybe not, because obviously any jury I get is going to be extremely biased against him regardless. Mm -hmm. But if I'm looking at it from a purely objective point of view, I'm scoring an acquittal based on that alone. Fair. So, I don't know. I go yeah. back and forth. And, 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 and my head is literally buzzing right now yeah. because of all the... Yeah, but I don't want to get in the weeds right now. We'll talk about some of that stuff More, later. Yeah. So, yeah. So, what about... Yeah. Here's where I start. Go for it. I am... We'll say 97% convinced Oswald acted alone. Okay. But if irrefutable evidence came out tomorrow 
and said, no, there was a conspiracy. And in a hypothetical world where it could clearly be laid out and said, there is no question, there was a conspiracy, here is what really happened. I would be like, all right, not surprised, okay, I'll, yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I side on the thing that he probably acted alone for the things you said, like Belisario said. How would you keep something like that locked down? Right. Secret. Um, so that's where I land on the episode. I think when I watched the episode as this episode as a kid, I don't know if I had a strong point of view. I was so fascinated with JFK's assassination because I was fascinated by the idea of how does the most powerful person in the world get killed literally in broad daylight and 30 years later we still don't know what happened. Yeah. That's what I found fascinating about it. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, Belisario in, in the same interview that I assume that I watched as well on YouTube uh, mentions the fact that a lot of the modeling and diagrams that were used early on, including the ones that Jim Garrison used, did not take into account the fact that the limousine that they were traveling in, that the rear seats had actually been, that the rear of the car had been widened mm-hmm. and heightened so that the president had more room in the back seat and could be elevated a bit. Um, and that new computer modeling that took that into account showed the path of the bullet hitting Governor Connolly. You know, that, there, that, there, that, that the funny thing is, with what you just said, that here we are over 50 years later, approaching 60 years later, and we are still going back to it, and we are still kind of discovering new things. And a lot of the new things that we discover tend to kind of push us frankly, more towards Oswald having acted alone. Mm-hmm. Um, Vincent Bugliosi, who, of course, was the uh, attorney who scored the conviction against Charles Manson and the Manson family for the Tate-LaBianca murders, uh, was approached in 1986 uh, on the eve of the, the 25th anniversary by a, a British television company uh, about a documentary that they wanted to air called The Trial of Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm-hmm. And Bugliosi basically being the most famous prosecutor in history because of his you know, conviction on Manson was approached to, will you be the lead prosecutor against Lee Harvey Oswald for this mock trial that we want to do? And he said, yes. Now the documentary, as far as I know, never actually came to be, or if it did, he was not involved in, in the same manner. Um, I couldn't find out exactly. Uh, but it started him off on doing research and he did research for 20 years. And a little bit prior to his death, he released a 1700 page book called Reclaiming History, released a condensed version. The condensed version is still 700 pages, uh, called Four Days in November, um, where he lays out step by step, hour by hour, sometimes minute by minute, what happened and backs it up with evidence. I read about 250 pages of this and skimmed further last night. (laughs) Um, And literally, by the time I got to page like, 190, there were already 667 footnotes. So he has detailed exhaustively his case, and he lands on the side that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, um, for what that's worth. <sighs> yeah. Excellent. So I, where, I, where I feel about this episode, and I say this to someone, obviously, love the series, for almost three years and doing a podcast about it, I loved this episode when I was a kid. It was one thing, like, I loved the episode because of the subject matter. Yes. But at times, frankly, got a little bored with the episode itself. Yeah. 
Uh, I say this to someone fascinated with the JFK assassination. My sophomore year in high school, I did a speech in speech class on the JFK assassination where I showed a clip from this episode, the actual assassination. So I had to set up to my classmates the whole premise of Sam has been overtaken by Oswald and acted it out and Al's a hologram and blah, 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 yeah. Uh, and my classmates just looking at me like, oh, what the <laughs> fuck? Um, years later, uh, in college, did another uh, another speech class and I did another speech on the Zapruder film because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it had just been remastered and, and the questions that uh, the remastered film, like that, what that introduced into any uh, possible conspiracy theories. Yeah. So I, I come at it from that place. Rewatching the episode for the first time in years last night, it is not a good episode of Quantum Leap. It may be one of the worst episodes of Quantum Leap. It is beautifully designed. Costumes are great. The acting does its best with the script it's given. The design and the sets are are. Are, are great. The music is fantastic. If you haven't just listened to it, just like, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube, get a copy of the, of the, of the soundtrack, J- just listen to the suite. All of that is fantastic. The writing is horrible. The story structure is horrible. Don Belisario has a clear point of view and he uses it to beat you over the head to the point that Sam and Al do not act like Sam and Al. Um, we talk about in uh, Black on White on Fire how Deborah Pratt used Sam and Al basically as set pieces to tell a story that she wanted to tell that you could have told without making it a Quantum Leap episode. Which, in my opinion, I would say are the best episodes of Quantum Leap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is one of those cases where that attempt was made and it failed. I don't consider this, and I never really thought about it before Before uh, finishing the episode this morning, I don't consider this part of the canon of Quantum Leap. <laughs> uh, it's very much like the 9-11 episode of The West Wing, which if you're not familiar... Except that's a brilliant piece of television. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're familiar, season, uh, season 3, episode 1 of The West Wing, it premiered less than a month after 9-11 happened. I'm not even sure if we were calling 9-11 9-11 by that point. Yeah. Um, and it was an episode that was written specifically in a response to 9-11. It was introduced by the actors out of character, specifically saying, they didn't come right out and say this because most non-geeks don't know what canon means outside of, uh, but basically saying, don't try to fit this into the continuity of the show. This is it not a part of the storyline. This is not a part of the storyline. This is not, this is not, this is not canon. This is our way of using the West Wing characters to tell a story in reaction to 9-11. And I think one of the reasons why it's so successful, and one of the reasons why this episode ends up not being, except for a couple of scenes, which I definitely want to get into later, uh, is because Aaron Sorkin, as much as he clearly has a point of view, and it is a very liberal, progressive point of view, he never uses his power as the writer of this episode to cram one particular side down your throat. He does a wonderful job of covering lots of different bases. And at that particular point in time, the most beautiful thing he does with that episode is humanizing the Muslims and the you know the Islamic religion 
while not doing so at the expense of what happened and also giving credence to Islamic extremism and terrorism and drawing the parallels like with the KKK and those sorts of things. Yeah. Like he, he, he does a wonderful job of covering multiple points of view without cramming anything down your throat and is very respectful to what has just happened, but he doesn't do any chest thumping. He doesn't do any USA, 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 yay rah, yay rah, let's kill the bastards. He doesn't like, he, he just does a beautiful job of telling a story while also being a bit didactic about it, which is mm-hmm. really nice. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to beat people over the head with the story of tolerance for other people, beat people <laughs> over the head all that you want. Cheers. But if you're going to use it to like push a thing like, no, I firmly believe Lee Harvey Oswald was the sole assassin. Okay, do that. Yeah. But tell a good story. Right. And from a writing perspective, this is not a good story because just from a very simple point of view, there's no coherent story. It's just Sam leaping to various points into Lee Harvey Oswald's life leading up to the assassination, and there is no character growth of anyone in this episode, aside from arguably Al and Gushy, who go from believing that there was a conspiracy to that he acted alone. Well, yeah, but then Al, but then, but then by the end of the episode, Al does something that is so incredibly out of character. That, right. Yeah. It just, it, it, yeah. No, I, and, well, then, that, and then, yeah, the, the, that, that one thing is like my argument, like Sam and Al both act incredibly out of character in this episode. Yeah. Well, with that. So here we go. So, yeah. so, uh, one interesting thing that happens right off the bat that, that we get with this is the, um, the disclaimer, if you will. Yeah. Um, about the episode, which you've got Matt's book in front of you. Can you read? The following story is based upon the known evidence and established facts collected in the three decades since the JFK assassination. And having watched the episode with Belisario and how strongly he feels that Oswald was a sole assassin, I even feel this disclaimer (laughs) is pushing... The established facts. Yeah, exactly. It's pushing a point of view yeah. right from the beginning. Well, and then we get this montage uh, with the beautiful score. I mean, let's mm-hmm. make no bones about it. The score is, is incredible. Yeah. Um, we get this montage of photos of John F. Kennedy from the time he was a boy leading up to the day of the assassination. Once we get to a certain point, it starts getting intercut with photos of Lee Harvey Oswald. And the music matches and, a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, it is, there's a solemn tone, there's a heavy tone, obviously, to this. Uh, it's very, it's different. I mean, we've never had anything like this before. Sure. Even the opening credits, which, you know, intercut some of these pictures and, 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 have, and have established these important events, whether it be JFK's assassination, RFK's assassination, MLK's assassination, like, we see those images in, in, in the opening credits. We've seen photos before like this, but never in this manner, never as a part of the episode. Maybe as a part of the credits, but this is actually a part of the episode. And the visceral reaction that a lot of the people, the targeted audience that Belisario initially had in mind for the show, the baby boomers, that that these photos would have provoked, mm-hmm. I think would have set them up for, you know, a heavy couple of hours of television. Sure. Um, it feels epic. Uh compared to what we've gotten prior to this. Like, I don't... I would almost argue that we've never really had, like, an epic episode of Quantum Leap before. You know, most of the episodes are... Again, even Belisario says this in in interviews. It's like Quantum Leap was about the small things Mm -hmm. um, that that we weren't out to 
we weren't out to prevent JFK's assassination. We were out to, you know, save this person's business or keep this person from drowning or, you know, Mm -hmm. little things like that. Um, So this obviously feels different. Um, It feels important. It feels like this is unlike anything we've done before. This is history. Mm. This is one of the towering figures of the 20th century. This is one of the defining moments of our cultural consciousness and awareness, Mm. if not the defining moment of this generation. Um, It's, it's the, you know, it's like two ends of a pole almost. It's like the assassination of JFK and putting a man on the moon, which are, so grandly connected. Mm -hmm. You know, there are many historians that argue, had Kennedy not been assassinated, we never would have gotten to the moon when we got to the moon. Yeah. Kennedy's assassination, because it was, it was kind of one of his goals before this decade is out, we will put a man on the moon that spurred on a generation of scientists and pilots to get there and a government to fund it. Yeah. Tangential. I feel the same about the moon landing as I do about Oswald being the sole assassin. 97, 99% sure it happened, but if tomorrow irrefutable evidence came out that said, no, we faked the moon landing, I'd be like, oh, okay, all right, fine, fine, fair enough. I think I have to believe it. I, I, I am, I am, I, like, to me, there's this element of if, if you, it is, it is so powerfully disrespectful to the people that were involved, to, to the men that died to get there, basically, that I just think that. I question whether you really did your homework if you believe it was a hoax. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, tangent. Yeah. Um, so I guess like let, let's dive into the first scene. So uh, we are Sunday, March thirty first, nineteen sixty three, Dallas, Texas, right before the infamous shot of Oswald with the, the newspaper and the rifle. I had forgotten before we watching this episode, and I think you mentioned it at the tail end of our episode last week. That for a long time, people thought this episode, uh, not this episode, uh, the picture was faked. Was doctored, yeah. Yeah, it was doctored. Yeah. Um, and, and Al even presents that. Yeah. Even presented, <laughs> I was like, whoa, yeah. Uh, people really did believe that. And as recently, um, I think it's 2015 or 2017, <clears throat> experts have come out and said, like, 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 no, like, given... The, the, the technology and resources that we had at the time, it is almost certainly unlikely that this photograph was doctored. Yeah. I we just 20... Yeah, we just did not have the means to doctor photographs like that back in the 1960s. 2015 okay. is when, is when yeah, people came out and were like, no, this thing is, this thing is real. Yeah. Um, because there was like 3D technology and forensic technology that was able to kind of, which, hey, let's face it. You know what? 20, 30 years from now, somebody might come back with a new way of, you know, and be like, oh, no, that photo is definitely fake. You know, things change. Yeah. But based on what we know right now today. Photographs. Yes. Photographs not fake. And I forgot how quickly Sam is melding with Oswald. Because like right from the beginning, Marina says something to him in Russian. He answers in Russian. And Sam is like, blah, 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 what? Right, um, and so yeah, so we get in. So yeah, so we get into this scene where where Sam is very quickly already disturbed by how much he is behaving like this person. He doesn't realize yet that he he does not know who he is. Yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't realize that he's Oswald. And we yeah, we see some disturbing behavior. Yeah, in this scene. Yeah, he. Um, I mean, it's extremely unsettling um, when Sam 
slaps Marina. Yeah. Um, when Lee slaps Marina. Yeah. Um, and like, can we, can we, I just want to point out one thing that bugs me about this episode. They are very inconsistent with how they translate how Sam behaves as Oswald. As Oswald. Sometimes Scott Bakula does this does this eye thing that, that denotes like he's Oswald. His voice changes. And then sometimes they just flat out overdub voices on top of each other. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting too because that was something that Jess mentioned to me. First of all, it's worth noting that Jess had a very visceral reaction to, to, to Sam slapping Marina. Betsy, um, Betsy too, yeah. Betsy yeah. did not last long in the episode, but yeah. yeah. Um, it's extremely unsettling. Um, not just because we abhor, you know, violence in general, but violence against women in this nature is, is, is an awful epidemic. Um, and, and, and anything that we can do to prevent it should be done. Um, but, uh, it is so incredibly powerfully out of character for Sam that it, it just like, I mean, Here's here's how it makes me here's how I can contrast this. If I watch an old James Cagney film and he slaps a woman, I don't think of it in the same way because contextualizing it in the 30s, like it's just it's it's kind of it's in it's it's this weird accepted part of the culture. Shouldn't be. Clearly, it was a problem then, it's a problem now, but the the way that I can process that as I'm watching a film from 1938 Versus the way I process a television show from 1992, and the way I process this with this character. I think that's the other thing too. Let me let me rephrase what I'm saying. When James Cagney is playing a violent mobster and he slaps a woman in the face, I process it very differently than the way that I process Sam Beckett, the Boy Scout, the good guy, the hero, the person I look up to, committing an act of violence this way. Yes. It's not that it's any more acceptable because the film was from 1938. It's acceptable the way I process it because he's a violent mobster. Yes. Maybe I should have used Goodfellas as an example because I, I, gotcha. I, I think I don't, want, I don't want to say like, yeah, it happened 80 years ago. It's okay. That's not what I mean. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it is, it is so unsettling. And it is, and it is a, 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 just an immediate kind of signpost that like, this is going to be different and this is going to be tough. This is not going to be an easy watch. I think, I think you and I are thinking that for different reasons, probably. I do, but, but I, I feel I feel like it's a cheat. It it yes, it tells us that something different is going to be happening, but I don't know if it's earned. I don't know the 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 fact that that. Yeah. The, 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 so. I can go one of two ways on it, if you don't mind. Sure. One way would be, it doesn't have to be earned, it's supposed to be jarring, and it's supposed to snap you out of a a level of comfortability that we have been given and granted with this show for the past four seasons. Sure. The alternative to that is, had it not happened, and had the, and later on in the bar scene, had Sam gotten violent with the Russian prostitute the way that he does. Sure. And that been the first moment that we see something like that from him, the build to that and the meshing of the personalities and the way that things had happened. I think that that would have been more shocking towards the end of the episode, mm-hmm. which would have given us because the episode ends up being split into two, perhaps a little bit better of a cliffhanger. Maybe I don't know. Uh, it doesn't, it does not 
bother me or feel cheap or unearned, honestly. It feels jarring with purpose. It feels like we're saying, you need to understand that this is not the usual. That's fair. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. I don't yeah. know if I have a good rebuttal to that. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is, this is my problem. It's, it's from the beginning, Belisario is laying out. He does not think there is anything redeemable about Oswald. At all. And maybe that's it. Uh, No, I love that you said that, though, actually, because I do not disagree with that whatsoever. But I think one of the most brilliant pieces of this episode happens towards the very end. And it is clear that that is James Whitmore Jr. and Scott Bakula and has absolutely nothing to do with Donald Bellasario. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, But, but yeah, I, I, yes, I completely agree with that. I, I am on board with that thought 100%. And it does make the, it, One of the things that makes the episode difficult, and it's an episode that I, you know, would not stand up on multiple rewatches because it is so hard to watch, is that it does continually push that point in your face. This is a, this is a bad, unhinged human being. Yeah. And we shouldn't feel anything for him, and we shouldn't try to give credit for this horrible act to anyone else because this is a terrible human being and he deserves to be shouldered with the weight of this assassination. And I guess the problem is is that the shorthand that, that Belisario uses is that mm. he has Sam be violent to women. And he also uses another shorthand later on in this episode where it, 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 it hints at the possibility that Oswald was gay or dabbled in and, and that, yes, no, he yes. uses that as like there is something wrong and subversive about homosexuality and, he, yep. you know, you're right and he takes some turns here that are in, in a 2020 context feel a little almost inexcusable I agree. Yeah. No, you're that is not, yeah, that is I understand your point of view. I don't necessarily 100% agree with it, sure. but I understand it but Yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, So that, but, so basically the, the important thing is, like, so Sam knows Russian. He's he's melding. He's obviously melded with this person who he doesn't realize is Oswald. Uh, and obviously, this is another thing that Belisario <clears throat> beats over your head, is Oswald's communist tendencies. Yes. And even from the beginning, I mean, of course, I mean, with the paper that he's holding up, it's, I think this is a copy of The Worker. Yeah. I think, yeah. The Daily Worker. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, holding a copy of the newspaper and, and, and just, yeah. Yeah. Just... No, I know, and 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 another thing is too is that he brings in the uh, the fake name right away, Alec, uh, yeah, yeah uh, which was. Um well, we'll get into that a little bit yeah, later. Yeah. Uh, I want to mention real quick, we're not going to do our normal IMDb-ing of the other actors in this episode just because of the unique beast this episode sure. is. But for what it's worth, Natasha Pavlovich, who plays Marina, um, she really wanted this role. Um, Matt's book talks a bit about her audition um, and the process for casting the role of Marina in particular. Um, does a wonderful job in the role. Uh, one thing that's interesting to me, being a fan of Alias, or at least the first few seasons of Alias, uh, she actually was the original Irina Derevko, who is Sydney's mom, uh, in Alias, before Lena Olin took over the on-screen character. You only hear the character uh, prior to Lena Olin in season two, but in season one, the voice of Irina Derevko, who is Sydney's mom, uh, is, is uh, Natasha Pavlovich, who plays Marina in this episode, so... Lengthy career, still working today. Yeah. yeah. Does a great job in this episode. Uh, so, yeah. So, we get, like, Sam's voiceover, what's happened to me, who have I leaked into? He starts pointing the rifle. We get a weird thing. He's he's pointing at the back of, of Kennedy's head. We don't know. Uh, yeah. It, you know, it is an interesting little bit of filmmaking, I will say. It, I mean, it, it, it does feel, again, shorthanded and lazy in some ways, perhaps, from a certain point of view. But 
we'll give it a little bit of credit that initially when he looks through, he sees the leaves through the trees, and sure. the leaves through the trees morph into the leaves outside the book depository, which, you yeah. know, then we see Kennedy's head. Then we get this interesting thing, something we've really never seen before, the sort of, like, flash leap. Yeah. Where he just, for inexplicably, leaps out. Yeah. And now he's on a marine base in Japan yeah. firing a rifle. I've always chalked up, and even from like when I was a kid, I've always chalked up the flash leap, mm-hmm. uh, not just a time-saving a time measure, but a budget-saving measure. Oh, sure. Because I'm sure it, it, it's pricey to do the thing. And also, we kind of have a newish leap effect. We do, indeed. Uh, starting this season, it looks very similar, but I, I think a consistent thing is that uh, it always like kind of starts like centered in around the eyes. Yeah, it's much more about the outline of the face. Yeah, yeah, around there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so we get the leap, and now we leap backwards. And by the way, I I always think I wonder how outlined this episode was for Belisario, how much he had written it before he 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 tacked on the ending to a leap for Lisa. Because it's jarring that we start off with the newspaper and then we jump back in time, and I feel like this is this is a fix. It's kind of a cheat. The there's nothing really significant about the newspaper scene. There's no like real important reason why Sam should leap there and then he leaps backwards and start leaping forward. I think it's just like oh well, we, 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 we got to fix it. We get we got to jump back. I I would I would say that most likely it was because what more of a chilling cliffhanger can you have than Sam in position for that photo. And sure. then, and the photo gets snapped, and the last thing we're left with as the season ends is the picture of Lee Harvey Oswald, and 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 so I think that for him, for for them, it was probably their way of being able to signify to the audience, we're going there, sure. Whereas it might not have landed quite as as heavily had he leaped into the base, been firing the gun. Somebody looks at him and says, nice shot, Oswald. Yeah. Oswald. And then that's what we're left with. It, I don't think it would have... Think. All right. Yeah. I mean, I thought about that. But here, here, here's a little fan link for you. Sure. Season two... No, season one ends with Sam leaping into something at the Stormer. Yep. Of What Price Gloria. Sure. That episode was not until four episodes in... Right. ...to season two. They could have done the cliffhanger like they did... And then start the episode off in 1957, have the scene that you just described, and then at some point during the episode... Sam leaps it's into there. the backyard moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could have, yeah, yeah, you know. Anyway, but, but anyway, we're. It in, would certainly make things interesting with the date in the future. It's Diane's Gate, perhaps. If 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 things, if we saw Sam, if we saw Sam's leaps out of sequence in a way, if you will, that might have been interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, anyway. So now we are in uh, Itsugi, Japan. Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, is, there, is there a name of the the base? I didn't actually jot the name of the base down. Uh, I not that. Neither. But anyway, um, so uh, Oswald is being uh, basically he's taking his uh, the the shooter test, like to get his designation. <sighs> I'm gonna beat the hell out of Belisario on this episode. If this is an episode that is so friggin' hung up on setting the story straight, and you are going to leap into Oswald's shooting test, get it right. Yeah. Um, Because the facts that we have is Oswald was trained and tested in shooting. In December 1956, he scored... uh, uh, 212. 212. 
which I think I'm not sure what the, I forgot to jot down what the, what that designation was. Sharpshooter. Sharp, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was sharpshooter. It was sharpshooter. Is, yeah. yeah. And then Sam was. And I'm sorry. Um, Oswald was reduced to a marksman with a score of 191 in 1959. This is 1957. Neither one of those dates, and I can't. Uh, I can't remember. What, two eighteen was his final score in he, the episode. Yeah, he he plays it. Uh, let's face it, he plays it very loose with the facts in Japan. Yeah, a lot of the other he stuff, plays it loose with the facts throughout. Well, we'll, we'll wait till we'll we get, get to Russia. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so that like, if, if you're going to do a thing, setting the record straight, right? Then make sure you set it straight. Get, get it right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and if you don't, make sure you have a very good dramatic reason for doing so. Yeah. It, you know, that's the thing is it's like it's it's such a lazy thing for filmmakers to say, well, I took dramatic license. Now, fuck you. You got lazy and realized that, you know what I mean? It's like unless you have a very good reason for telling your story that way. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. You know, it's like it's that idea that oftentimes the truth is much more fascinating than any fiction that you can create yeah. and you could hope to create. You know, um, so yeah, I, I, I yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That being said, um, there's a there there are a couple of failed attempts at comedy in this episode. That just, God. Just and like this is one it's of all them. through Al, pretty much. Yeah, this yeah. is one of them when Al gets right in front of his rifle at the last minute. Like, what the? What did you think you were going to do? Well, and and Sergeant Lopez has a line right before this that I want to call out real quick. That's not comedic, but he says this thing about how you can't call the bullets back. Yeah. There are a couple of fairly heavy-handed drops that Belisario does in the script. Yeah. And this is certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. Like, no shit, you can't call the bullets back. I know. If we could, it'd be great to be able to call the bullets back on that November day in 1963. Yeah. Like, it's, mm. it, you know, it's like, it's clear that he's trying to be artsy-fartsy there, and I and I question whether or not it works. Mm. Now, I will say what I do love about the scene, and this jumped at me when I was a kid, There, this scene has a lot... Uh, a lot more crude language than what we are used to in Quantum Leap. Yes. I can't remember like what the rest of the TV landscape was at the time, but I Betsy was still watching me with the episode last night because Lopez has a line after uh, Sam totally misses the target because of Al jumping in his way. Lopez has a line, if you hadn't jerked off that last round, you would have made expert. And I turn to Betsy and I'm like, I think this is the first time I ever heard the term jerked off on primetime TV. When I was a kid. Yeah, I would I would certainly say that I think the landscape was shifting a little bit. You know, this is obviously this is like pre NYPD Blue, which would yeah. certainly break down a lot of barriers. But at that same time, shows like In the Heat of the Night actually were were, were starting to drift into a little bit more, you know, mature language situations, sure. etc. And it wasn't unheard of. I mean Hill Street Blues covered a lot of that stuff early on. Yeah. You know, there were certainly episodes of television that had that had kind of taken that route. But this would certainly be this would not. This wouldn't be the norm. Yeah, yeah. Especially not for Quantum Leap. Hell no. Also, interesting noted. Um, at, at one point, Lopez says, "Gunny West told me you're a loudmouth ass." Yeah, and it goes mute for a second. Funny watching it on Amazon last night. The caption said, "Gunny West told me you're a loudmouth asshole." Ah, uh, I was like, mm, "That was probably what was there originally." Yeah, and they and then they muted it out. Mm. Uh, uh, but it, like. Like, at one point, <clears throat> Sam as Oswald calls him Sergeant Peter. Yeah, I mean it was it's just yeah. I mean, even when I was I was like this is this is weird. It's different. One comedic moment that I do appreciate this in this scene 
as when Sam accidentally speaks Russian. To oh. Lopez, and he says, and he says, "Oh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm speaking, I, I'm I'm learning Russian, and sometimes it's about time." The, you know what I'm studying? Three Stooges. Good. Yeah, you have one more. Man, that, and I'll tell you this: that's a moment that works. It looks like it, it, it looks like the actor playing the sergeant really gets Scott Bakula's nose there. Yeah. Like it does not look like this has been like it, it. That looked like he really tweaked his nose. Yeah. Um, uh, so th- I mean that that is one bit of comedy in this episode. That I, that I do appreciate. Yeah. Because it seems like it actually fits, and that's something a, a sergeant would would actually do. One other thing that happens in this scene that feels a little off to me, quite honestly, is we get these moments, like in Elite for Lisa, where the reveal is that Al is Sam, where it's kind of like, boom. Like yeah. It, you know, it drops. When Al tells him he's Lee Harvey Oswald, it's like, you're Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. I mean, because we've kind of taken the piss out of it with, with the first scene. And it just feels like, I don't know. It feels, yeah. to, here's the thing about it. I'm not saying that it should have been like this huge dramatic moment, but I do find it odd that Al, and this is why Al seems a little off to me throughout the course of the episode, Like I feel like Al would just understand the weight of it and be like, Sam, this is, you know, you probably already know this, but you should be prepared. This is who you are. We don't know what the hell's going on. We don't know why you're here. We don't know what, you know... Because it just I feels mean, so throwaway. I mean, not just the fact he's leaped into Lee Harvey Oswald. This is the first time he's leapt into any historical figure ever, and they've made such a big deal about it that before, like in episodes, like yeah. like we do, like we do the small things, we don't handle the big things, right? And I mean, when you think about Honeymoon Express, when there is such a huge big deal over to, whether to or not he whatever. should prevent the, the 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 plane getting shot down, you know, it's just like holy and, shit, and, and it's. Um, Oh, God. This is how bad I think this episode is. I think the fan-made A Leap to Die For Ooh. is better. And here's Ooh. why. H- have you ever actually watched it? Or, or like, at least seen the trailer? The thing. Thing? What I appreciate is, like, they, they set up this wonderful premise, this idea that when Sam leaps into one of Princess Di's body men, that gets back to the U.S. government. Mm. And the president, through Al, starts communicating directly to Sam saying you are under orders to save Princess Diana. At which point if I'm Sam Beckett I say you don't order me to do jack shit. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not I, I I don't you 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 practically pulled my funding. I'm out on a limb here by myself. I'm not an officer in the military. I'm not you can't order me to do a damn thing. Sure. But I but I lo- I like I love the idea of uh, and I never like compared those two episodes in my head before, but like the weight of like if Sam actually did leap into an historical figure who had such an impact on history and it got back right to it got back to the president or like upper like you know part of the government that actually gave a damn about this you know stepchild of a of a top secret government project how would they react to it dude think about this for a second how incredible would it have been if at some point during the course of this episode like you know, the CIA, the FBI, somebody storms Project Quantum Leap because they've heard about this and takes Sam slash Lee into custody for the assassination of JFK. God! Like, <laughs> would that have not... I mean, what, I mean, or the first time, it's not even Al that shows up. It's somebody sure. else. It's Sinjin. It's it, no, I mean, I mean that would throw off, like, because no, like, it's, I, it's I, all centered around, like, Sam and Al. Right, right. But it would be interesting if just, like, 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 no, like we're sending in our people. Yeah, 
were communicating with you. I know there's a lot of fan way. No, but the, that's valid, and I think but, that. You, you, well, I think that you know through through this scene, it's one of the first really good examples of that sort of tone that we were talking about earlier before we started recording, where it feels like. It's super slow and yet very frenetic at the same time. And then, I, until before we start, that's what Betsy said. At yeah. this, like she, she had to tap out eventually because she had other work she had to do. But she said it, it feels very slow but very frenetic at the same time. And the, and the thing is, is, I think a lot of that has to do with what is actually happening story-wise is sometimes painfully slow. What is happening specifically to Sam and what Scott Bakula, the actor, is doing is very frenetic. Yeah. Because the bouncing back and forth between the personalities, the, the, you know, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And, and, and it's weird because as soon as I watched, finished watching last night, I just, all I could think in my head is like, man, Scott Bakula is an incredible actor. When I woke up this morning, all I could think about is like, man, so much of that was so surface level. And that's not a knock to Scott. That's more, I think the script and more the, the idea that what we get to see up until somewhere we're going to get at the very end of this episode is so just surface level. This is the crazed lone gunman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the one good thing about the scene that we're about to see, one, we get a nice call back to chip. Yep. Well, because like a nice call back. <laughs> I mean, it's, I know. I'm I mean, it's, it's it, for consistency of just like, Hey, I mean, he right. was a big part of the last chip episode. Gets name yeah. drop. We yeah. also get the name drop, or not name drop, but we get the event drop, if you will, for the leap back. Remember when, when Al's like, remember when we switched places? <sighs> yes. So let's jump back. The one chilling, th- because like that's after the commercial break. The the one chilling thing that we get before the commercial break is that Sam and Al are talking about everything. Sam is just casually filled stripping the Simpson yeah. one, and then it is a genuinely chilling moment when he stops. And when Sam and Al stop, and Al's like, when did you learn to do this? And Sam was like, I didn't. Yeah. I appreciate that moment. I, I, you know, if we're going to be critical and why shouldn't we, I do think that the editing of the shots is a little odd. Uh, it does not feel like the shots of the hands, whether they're Scott Bakula's or not, I'm not going to oh, say yeah, yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. know. But it feel, the lighting feels off. It feels very, it feels like they were filmed at two completely different times, which obviously they were, sure. but they don't match. Uh, okay. You know what I mean? Like sure. They just feel a little, I don't know. Um, yeah, I agree though. It, it, it was, yeah. 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 But, but then we come back. I have a huge problem with Al calling back the events of the leap back. Because okay. Al brings it up. Yes, he does. You're trying to keep Sam from remembering that he came home. One, because he's under orders from Donna sure. to not reveal. And two, I, I've also kind of thought, how heartbreaking would it be for Sam to remember that he leaped home once mm-hmm. and he had to leap out again? Yeah. Why would Al bring up something so close to broaching that memory? Because, because like, do you remember when we changed places and blah, 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 like you got some of my libido and you still acted like a prude. And Sam says, what was I supposed to do? I was a hologram. That's just one step from I was a hologram in the imaging chamber at Project Quantum Leap. Holy fuck, I was home. Yeah. Why would you bring that up? Yeah, I I, I, I can see that. I will say that 
apologies for my Swiss cheese memory, that as I recall, though, the only rule was that he couldn't say anything about Donna. Now, I'm not disagreeing with what you were saying about why would he bring up the fact that they traded places at one point, but because he doesn't explicitly bring up Donna, he technically doesn't break the rule. And and you have to wonder, like, at some point, does Sam, like, you know, what... It's because of what we learn in the series finale is in a way is Sam almost willfully forgetting Donna so that he can keep going doing these things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and yet he, he probably would remember at some point, like maybe some days he does remember that he was at Project Quantum Leap, maybe some days he doesn't or whatever. I don't disagree with what you're saying. I'm just kind of offering a counterpoint. Sure. There's even, I can't even remember, um, there was a, there was an episode somewhere in Leap 4 between the Leap Back and, and this episode where Sam brings up, do you remember when we traded places? And Al says, oh, no, no. Oh, right, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember, remember. I remember us talking about that. I don't remember that. Yeah. And to me, it's like, like, like no, like, Al doesn't want mm-hmm. Sam to remember that because, like, because once you remember that you got home, you're you're just a couple steps away from remembering well, Donna. Well, I think, so, I, I, I guess my other thought would be that because they're trying to figure out what's going on. Sure. I think that it's it, 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 it's a kind of that a desperate trumps. situation, sure. right? You know, like Alice, Alice saying, like, well, this isn't the first time something like this has happened, and you were able to handle it in the past, and it didn't get in the way. Like, you know, for instance, I think it's Al's way of saying, like, you got my libido, and you still didn't act on it, so just because you're getting a little bit of him doesn't mean you're going to kill the president, you know, yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, I, and it is, the other thing that's worth noting is it is confirmation, without a doubt, that Sam does get little pieces of the other person's personality, knowledge, and soul. Like, he uses those words specifically. Sure. And, 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 it's, not, and it's not in a, oh, at this one time it happened. It's literally, he says, this happens. Sure. So it's basically confirmation that every time he leaps, he gets a little bit of their personality, knowledge, and soul. Sure. Um, which is great, because it feeds into a lot of what we've discussed in the four seasons prior sure. to this. Uh, but it's nice to kind of have that confirmation. Sure. That said, <laughs> so we directly reference the events of the Leap Back, mm-hmm. which took place on September 18th, 1999. Yep. And this scene ends, and he says, I'm going to go back, I'm going to interrogate Oswald. One thing I do love about this, I love that we get new establishing shots of Stallionscape yes. and the project. We get rid of the <laughs> leaping rock, and we get something that looks like 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 a, like a nice set piece, and this is going to be an establishing shot throughout the season five as we we start to visit the project more. And I also like that sweeping shot going over going over the desert mm-hmm, towards mm-hmm. the project. Yep. I I like that. I, I I like the feel of this episode as far as like when we jump back and forth between time, like we put up the thing like here's the date, here's where we're yes. at. Yes. I I like and I appreciate those moments. Yeah. Um. So we get to the, back to the project and we get Al interrogating Lee Harvey Oswald, who we have seen before. Yes. Uh, this is, one, have, of the, this is um, one, of the, uh, one of the few actors we are going to name check. This is Willie, Willie Garson. Garson. Yeah. Formerly played Seymour and played again Seymour. So it's been, you know, four seasons since we've seen him. But yeah, here, here he is back again. Uh, doesn't look hardly anything like Lee Harvey Oswald in spite of the, you know, the... the, the combed hair and the and the fact that they are the, both carbon based and skinny right yeah, yeah exactly um pulls off enough of sort of a chilling but again reinforces the fact that Belisario is saying this guy is a horrible human being who doesn't deserve any of your sympathy he did it I guarantee you he did it he's a bad guy 
Watch how I make him a bad guy. He killed him. He killed him. He killed him dead. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and here's another problem story to jump back. So uh, in the in the previous scene on the military base, Sam tells Al, I leaped in like the, the photo. I leaped in the photos yeah. being taken. Remember the fa- famous photo? Al says, no, no, no. That photograph was faked. Yes. Yeah. It was the, 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 I think he even names checked the CIA. Yep. Like CIA did this to frame him. And then he goes back to interrogate Oswald and... And at one point, as Oswald is getting worked up, Al says, take it easy, I'm on your side. Which I've always interpreted as meaning as, here's what I don't get. Al behaves inconsistently in this episode. I can't tell if he thinks Oswald was a patsy and had nothing to do with the assassination. Or if he thinks, because because of like if he was framed with the photograph. Or if Oswald was part of a larger conspiracy. Sure. Like, Al's point of view isn't even consistent. No, and even when we have, not to skip ahead, but even when we get the revelation later where, where Al, you know, speaks for Don Belisario, or Don Belisario speaks through Al, if you will, um, that he's no longer on board with the conspiracy theory, it doesn't feel earned. No. Basically, like what you are saying earlier. Um, yeah, I agree. He, I mean, Al is inconsistent throughout the episode, period. Regardless of what he, you know, if he does, he believe it. Liz Longman does he believe a conspiracy? Just in general, he's inconsistent. Um, it's it's so strange to me too that here we have the creator of the show, the man who created these characters in this relationship, and as we have seen multiple times, especially through season four, Al is so poorly handled. Um, and this is another example of that. He has some great scenes. Oh, he yeah. has some wonderful moments. The climactic scene with Sam is a beautiful fucking moment. Yeah. That I will argue until my dying day is probably one of the best moments in Quantum Leap. But, like, he also has some really weird moments. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's a conspiracy theorist. I even wrote it with a question mark in my notes. Al is a conspiracy theorist? Question mark? It's like, hmm, all right. Uh, but, yeah, he, he talks about the photo being fake. Um, I, I mean, there, there's some nice, mo- nice moments in the scene. I love, like, when, when Oswald asks what the handlink is. Like, oh, tape recorder, new model. Right. And then when Oswald calls him out on that, it's like, okay, we both lied. Right. It's like, there were some very nice human moments. Yes. Uh, which I appreciate. And then he looks in the mirror. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> yeah. There's a really bad scene out of, I think it's called Troll 2. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and there's a scene where this, it's a really bad movie, and like this this nerdy teenage kid, he's looking up and he's seeing like one of the troll monsters eating, eating, eating a woman. Yeah. And he looks up and his literal lines are, oh my God, he's eating her. And then he's going to eat me. Ah! And that's what this moment is at the end of the scene. Yeah. When Oswald looks in, in the, the mirror. mirror. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And it, and it also reinforces what you said about in, in Leap for Lisa. It's like, why is there a mirror in the waiting room? Yeah, I don't disagree. I, 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 um, I, 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 don't, I don't like it either. Uh, worth noting, just to go back real quick, Willie Garson also played Lee Harvey Oswald in the movie Ruby, which was uh, another film that kind of was riding the wave of the JFK 
Oliver Sharon sure. film. Uh, Danny Aiello played Jack sure. Ruby, and it was about Jack Ruby, who, of course, was the man who killed Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, so it is kind of funny to think that even though Willie Garson looks nothing like him, and even Matt comments in Beyond the Mirror Image about how it's like, that'll look at anything like him, uh, he played Lee Harvey Oswald not once, but twice. Hey. Um, Paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a weird scene, and it's, and it's, it's a missed opportunity. Because it's a wonderful chance for Al to be the investigator. It's a wonderful chance for Al, to, for us to see Al getting the information that we have so often seen him provide Sam. Yeah. And instead, we just get this weird scene of Oswald being evasive and a creep, and Al failing at really getting any sort of information. And coming up with, like, piss-poor excuses for where he is, what he is, you know, what's going on. Sure. Um, and here's a... I'm going to plant this out throughout the, the in times that he's ter- inter- interrogating... Lee Harvey Oswald through here. Just a little fan wank, even though I don't believe this episode exists in the canon. <laughs> Just a little fan wank. What if Al interrogating him is what plants the fucking idea in the first place? Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and another thing that's worth noting, too, um, that, that is noted a couple, of, uh, a couple of websites, and I think Matt might mention it in his book, too, that's odd, is that as far as we can tell, there is no change in the Lee Harvey Oswald that is in the waiting room even though Sam is leaping multiple times. So you would think that when Sam leaps out of, you know, 57 to 59 to 63, that each time he's leaping, the analogous Lee Harvey Oswald is leaping into the waiting room. Yeah. But there is no indication that that is so. Yeah. We're basically given the idea that it's the same Lee the whole time, which doesn't fit. No. We should be getting three different versions, and yeah. we don't. So that is that is not just a nitpick. That is a valid criticism of the failing of the imagination of this episode. Um, there was something else I was going to say, and I lost the thought. It must not matter that much. Maybe I'll come so, back to it. No, no. So, so, so we get back to to the Air Force scene, and I don't even really want to discuss it. I'm holding myself back from dropping so many F-bombs. Yeah. It's because it's ultimately pointless, and it means nothing. We get the tidbit that that uh, whatever he was a radar operator or whatever his his designation was mm-hmm. like like writing up on the board. Um, Here we we, we 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 get a little bit of tidbit that Oswald was not liked by his right, but was not liked by his peers. He was called uh, do recently as as Ozzy Rabbit, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize till I looked it up this morning was an actual Disney character. Yeah, pre predating Bugs Bunny, by the way. Well, actually, yes. Uh, and but, predating Mickey. Yeah, but yeah. basically, like, Ozzy Rabbit kind of got weird, turning like, basically, Ozzy Rabbit got shelved for Mickey Mouse. Yes. But, and through some Disney creations over the last four years, like, they, the last few years, they, they've brought Ozzy Rabbit back It was all because of a video game. There was a That's video right, yeah. game, yeah, it started off with a video game, it was like Power of Two or something yeah. like that, and, and it had to do with Mickey having to like find Oswald and the two of them coming together to save the world or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and now he's kind of, yeah, come back into the consciousness of it a little yeah. bit. Yeah, so that, yeah. I mean, that's something I learned new. So, I mean, you learn little tidbits about stuff like that, and Race Car is U2, uh, which, was, which was eventually shot down and extended the Cold War. Go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say is, is that the funny thing is, is that I can trace, and I think a lot of viewers could trace, the reason why we're seeing every single one of these scenes. However, as you were saying, it doesn't necessarily make for good drama. It doesn't make for good television. It doesn't make for a good story. Like, the reason we're seeing this scene is to, is to get the information that Oswald is not well-liked, that Oswald has access to the information about the U-2, 
which he will then go on to provide to the Russians. Yeah. Which he will then go on to provide to the Russians, but they don't give a shit because they already know more than he does, and he's an inconsequential little human being who does not matter. And that's the which thing. Which furthers yeah. his psychosis, because that's all that this episode is about, is showing that this is a unhinged, deranged, little, insignificant human being who committed this one huge, significant act, and he did it, he killed him, he killed him, he shot him dead. Yes. Yeah. That's all that this episode is for. Yes. And that's, yeah, like I said, not good drama. Uh, I've forgotten how, like, every one of these little scenes, like, Al's like, oh, well, maybe you're going to go to this bar now. And maybe that's where Ziggy says that maybe the conspiracy started there. Yeah. And so now we're going to go to this bar with the one piece of stock footage that they have of the, of the Japanese street. <laughs> and uh, do we, we get the name of the bar? I don't think so. Uh, I, I mean, I yeah, I, I was looking some stuff up and I couldn't find anything. Yeah. Here's now this scene is once again much in the way that we talked about Commander Riker. It's almost a wonder that an episode like Ready for Honor even got made. Although one could certainly argue that some of the ways that homosexuality is treated in that episode is not necessarily uh, uh, a shining example of progressivism. Sure. Certainly, Good Night, Dear Heart, as much as I think that's one of the best episodes of Quantum Leap, easily in my top five. It's an incredible episode. There are certainly criticisms of that episode, which even resulted in a comic book issue being written to kind of rebut the way that you know one sure. character in particular is treated in that episode. Um, but Don Belisario basically uses the possibility that Lee Harvey Oswald may have dabbled, if you will, sure. in homosexuality to further that this is a subversive, weird individual who is in a subversive, weird place being kissed by a man dressed as a geisha. Yep. I am not okay with that. <sighs> yep. I have no problem with the scene existing. Sure. I have no problem with... Lee Harvey Oswald being an unhinged, deranged individual. But because of the way the scene is shot, the way that things are done, and even Sam's reaction to it, it just feels as though Don Belisario is saying, he was subversive, and here's another reason why. Yep. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate and lazy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it is worth noting that of all the scenes in this episode, that, that the moments at the bar are easily the most fictionalized. That there are no concrete records, evidence, etc. of any of this happening whatsoever. Yeah. That and this this is just this could just be a figment of Belisario's imagination. And that's the thing, like I like if you're showing the consequential the consequential moments in Oswald's life leading up to the assassination, why spend time with moments that don't matter? Right. Um, put a bookmark here to jump back. Uh, some things that we missed from the interrogation scene is Al directly asking him, were you ever approached by a foreign agent in Japan? Okay. We're kind of setting up this idea of, like, why is Sam in Japan? Oh, well, maybe, like, this is where he was, right. where he was approached by a foreign because agent. Because that is one of the things that Al, yes, yeah. posits as well. And, and, uh, and Oswald tells no, but then he spits back in Scott Bakula's voice, in Sam's voice, are you a foreign agent, Al? And in the previous scene, we had at one point Sam spitting out Willie Garson's voice. And that's the thing. It's really inconsistent yeah. because, because, because Sam will take on Oswald's things and, like, like I said, sometimes he just does like the weird eye thing and you know he's behaving like Oswald. But then sometimes like they actually spit out Oswald. And I'm like, 
Why? I know. I don't. I, here's the thing. I, I, I would almost be willing to excuse Bakula's voice coming out of Garson, but there's just no reason to have Garson's voice come out of Bakula. No. Because he already is, he's affecting such a huge physical, facial, vocal change anyway. Yeah. When we do see it, it just feels... It's really inco- yeah, it's it's inconsistent. Yeah, so inconsistent. Yeah. So anyway, so we are, uh, so we're in the bar. The, uh, the, the geisha, the man dressed up as a geisha, uh, Joda is played by Rodney, um, uh, K-A-G-E-Y-A-M-A. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. But uh, we have seen oh, him Kageyama. before. Kageyama. Kageyama. Okay, thank you. He was uh, uh, Choo Choo, the bartender, the owner of the bar, or whatever it was, in uh, the Leap Home Part 2. Yeah. Just an interesting note. Gets when I was a kid, like, I remember, like, this is clearly a man dressed up as a woman. And I was like, I was like, I could not, like, when I was a kid, like, I, I couldn't figure out, like, what what were they trying to say? Like, was the character literally supposed to be a woman and they just had a man play him? Yeah. I thought, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm along for that ride. Right. Whatever. Sorry, I just popped into my head to fit with your non-canon thing and a fan-wake idea that maybe you'll get on board with. I don't believe this necessarily, but it was just interesting. Because we have so many recycled actors, what if this is just like Sam's fever dream? Like, he's seen, oh, like, and you were there, and you were, you were there, there, and you were yeah. there, and you were there. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we get, like, we get, like, three or four recycled actors that he's yeah. seen, been around other times, you know? It's like, this that, episode doesn't exist. That, I mean, I think, <laughs> did, did I say that about dreams, that this is a fever dream, like, like Sam has between leaps? Right, right. It fits. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Anyway, um... Uh, and so in, in the bar, he gets approached by, uh, by a prostitute, by a bar girl, as she's noted on, uh, on IMDb. This is when we meet Mariska. Uh, we meet Mariska, who is also a sex worker. Let's use the proper term. Who is also a sex worker, but her and Oswald obviously have a relationship. Well, she calls him his no, boyfriend no, no, no. at one point, right? Boyfriend. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no, no. To clarify, um... She's not a sex worker. She, like, basically, she works at the bar to get soldiers to buy drinks. Right. To, like, get them greased up, but then... Greased up. But, <laughs> but, but, but says, like, I like I just drinks. I don't go anywhere. Right. There is, but there else. is the implication the, that pr- potentially there was more at one point in time that she did, but now maybe, maybe she hasn't been doing I don't that. Know, or, yeah. yeah. Uh, but then we get more of Sam behaving as Oswald, behaving badly. Um, what I do find an interesting touch in this scene is that Sam is lacking his Russian in this in this scene. Which I suppose maybe is the way to illustrate the fact that at this particular point in time, Oswald did That's not speak yeah. very good Russian. Mm-hmm. That, that, that apparently by the time he was discharged, uh, which is shortly after yeah. uh, this, when this took place historically, that he had actually been tested on it and that the, that the military said his knowledge was rudimentary. Yeah. Which again, if we want to go on conspiracy theory fan wing, maybe he did that on purpose. He threw the test on purpose so that they didn't suspect him of something or whatever, which I think is a bunch of bullshit. I think he probably just didn't know Russian very well. Sure. Um, so, so yeah, so I guess that that would be consistent... Yeah. With where we are. And where I, we are. I never thought about this before. Isn't it convenient that Sam speaks multiple languages, including some dead ones, and Russian is not one of them? Which, funny enough, depending on how we decide the canonicity of the novels, is not true, because in the novels, he does speak Russian and it is one of the languages he knows. Which is the wall, and the wall, again, debating yeah. canonicity is fine, takes place prior to this episode. I believe it takes place in season two. Oh, I think the wall is, yeah, I think that's when it takes place. Yeah. 
Again, another argument for why this episode <laughs> is not canon. Although, you know, it's also possible, again, that, you know, because he doesn't necessarily always remember things, that, 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 that maybe that's one of the reasons why it is so easy for him to speak Russian is because he does know Russian, he just doesn't know that he knows Russian. And sure. so he thinks it's because he's, tra- you know, Oswald is, he has a wonderful description later in the episode, I, which is another moment of the episode I love how he describes... You yes. know, the, the, the way it re- works. Yeah, the yeah. way it works. I love that. And I think that ties into, like, one of the beautiful moments at the end of the episode. Absolutely. We'll Freaking loot. We'll talk about there. So, uh, so yeah, so we get this scene of, of, of Oswald treating treating Mariska badly. Al he jumping chokes back her. in, chokes her. Then they start making out. Yeah. Now, Al leaping, Al coming back in and saying, oh, it looks like my libido finally kicked in. So weird and off. It's We're so, going to get to something like that, but one thing I want to mention yeah. real quick, too, is that, like, as we're, we're seeing the personalities shift more solidly and for longer pers- points of time, sure. in this, in this, inst- this uh, exchange between the two of them is a very good example of that because Lee is obviously present because he's pressing her to teach him more Russian, to talk to him in Russian, yeah. to, you know, to, to kind of help prepare him for his dream of becoming you Russian, know, a defector yeah. to, the, you know, to Russia and all this sort of stuff. Um, and she, of course, is, is, is wanting more out of the mm. relationship, all that sort of thing. Um, and then we're seeing Sam take back over briefly before Lee, you know, kind of punches his way back in, yeah. is choking her, then starts kissing her, then Al pops in. Yeah, my libido finally kicked in. Yeah. They go to the bathroom. Sam seems to be back. Sam says, I treated her like dirt and she threw herself at me. Al's response is, works every time. And then he quickly corrects himself. It shouldn't. Yeah. It shouldn't worry it every shouldn't. time. It's bad. It's no, don't. Oh, yeah. I, f- I feel like this is like Belisario creeping in. It's just. I have a hard time believing that all the things that Al would do, that he would never treat a woman like that. Yeah. Like he might, he might do some of the. Could I see Al, much like Barney on How I Met Your Mother, looking at a woman saying something like, oh, you've lost weight. You know, if you lost just a little bit more, you'd look great. Like, it's the backhanded compliment. Could I see Al doing something like that? Yeah. Am I a fan of it? No. But could I see Al ever doing anything like what Lee does to Mariska in this scene? Absolutely not. And again, it just... Well, the thing is, like, Al Al doesn't see any of the physical abuse. I know. He he comes in at... But it's... uh, Yeah. It's just... Anyway. So, um... And so we get the scene in the bathroom, which is basically there for for Sam to tell Al like he's taking over. I remember, I remember the, this one specific line when Sam says he's taking over my mind. I remember that being a big thing that they showed in the previews for this episode. Yeah, on TV, like this is like this is like the big thing. Like Oswald is taking over Sam. One of the things that actually struck me about this scene is such a small thing. It's the soldier puking because it's so graphic. Oh, I wasn't going to bring it up. And in but your yeah. face, to me. This is, I don't mean this quality-wise, because obviously we're tearing it apart, but tonally, visually, viscerally, some of the things that they create throughout the course of this episode, this is the prototype for a potential reboot. I'm not saying this is what they would do or will do should Peacock reboot the show, but in my mind, this is the Game of Thrones version of Quantum Leap. This is the in-your-face, bloody, covered-in-puke, horrible, visceral version of Quantum Leap that we could get in a reboot in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Yeah. Um, 
Because it's so incongruous with anything that we've ever seen before. No, we don't. Even, it, even like, darker episodes that we've gotten before are heavier episodes. Like, if you look back at Elite Home Part 2, which is a fantastic episode, probably in my top ten, like, an incredible episode, might even still argue better than Elite Home Part 1. Not as important, not as emotional, Okay, but as an episode total, might be a better episode. Um... Like, that episode, very heavy. Brutal shit happens. Sam mows down a bunch of people with a machine gun. But it never feels as unsettling and uncomfortable and dangerous and in-your-face as this episode does. No. Interesting. It's, 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 it's the language, it's the violence of the fight. Which oh my gonna, god. Yeah, the violence of the fight. The fight is so long yeah. and bloody. and Yeah, which we're going to get to. Uh, yeah, the puke thing, I, I thought about that. I wasn't going to bring it up. I was just talking to someone the other day how, like... It seemed like like the late '90s. They they got more like realistic with the puking on TV. And the friend I was talking to, I can't remember the context of the conversation. Yeah, they were just like, I I can't. I don't need to see that. Right. Whatever. But it it, it jumped out at me. It's like, oh man, that they actually. I don't know if they they don't actually show anything coming out. But he's definitely got some stuff hanging oh, on his. No, they show stuff coming out. Oh, do, okay. Like okay. when we first see him puking, like there is literally stuff coming out, uh, like chunks of yeah, yeah. And Al has some jokes about, like, reminds me of my like, time. And, and, and that's another thing. It's like, yeah. like, you are, he has leaped into Lee Harvey Oswald. Like, this is not the time yeah. for jokes, no. dude. Uh, anyway. Then Lopez and his goons come in. Oh, and it, yeah. And we get, you know, Lee taking over and, and, and being offensive and whatever and starting. A reference to dropping the, dropping the soap in the shower. Just yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh... And we get this huge, protracted, very bloody, very violent fight uh, that ends in Sam Lee pulling a gun from his boot. Before we get there, I want to highlight one moment. Sure. It's the last time that Lopez throws him, the way Scott Bakula lands. He slides off the bar onto his head, neck, and shoulders, and just is kind of like this weird... And his body does this weird contorting thing. And it, it, it there's just usually like on this show, like it, it's all like very kind of like old West punchy, punchy, right, kick, right. punchy, punchy, kicky, kicky. You don't see like the weird things like that, like happen to your body in the weird ways that get contorted when you're in a fight like yeah. that. And I, I, I appreciate the way James Whitmore staged this scene. You know, that's one thing that I will certainly say, and I'll say it again before we're done. I mean, the direction, for the most part, is fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the set pieces, incredible. The production design is wonderful. Like, there's, there. I mean, it, as as we tear this apart, and I feel like with good reason, there's still a lot to commend about oh, the yeah. episode. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree. Just the, the overall destruction of the bar in general. Like, mm-hmm. the, it feels like this fight has consequences. Yeah. Throughout the course of Quantum Leap, there are a lot of fights and physical violence that exchanges that don't necessarily feel like they have consequences. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, because oftentimes they are kind of what you're saying, Old West, punch the bad guy out, move yeah. on. Um, which has its place, especially yeah. in, like, a TV drama. Yeah. I mean, there there is one comedic moment in this scene where... Uh, or like the one bouncer type, like he just picks up. Oh two God! Boys. Picks those two dudes up and like bounces their heads off. What? Uh, so when Lee pulls the gun, mm-hmm. here's something. I totally forgot about the gun. I remembered beer bottle. Mm. So here's <laughs> here's here's a thought. Like we've been talking about what Sam is there to do when is he leaping out? What is happening? Two major things. One. 
Because Sam is the one that screws up the uh, the shooting, you know, uh, um, the target practice. Thank yeah. you. Sorry. Uh, one could go on to say that the reason why Oswald didn't have a higher rating is because Sam leaped in. So that's the reason why we don't know that Oswald was such a good shot. Again, Belisario making his case. Yeah. Two, in the original history, Oswald goes nuts and murders this guy and ends up being tried and convicted for murder and hanged by the neck until he is dead by the United States Marine Corps. That doesn't happen because Al is able to talk him out of it with the laws of quantum physics. Sure. So Sam leaps again. Sam has, in essence, created any instance of doubt surrounding Oswald's capability of pulling off the assassination and has also created the reality in which Lee Harvey Oswald is alive and able to commit the assassination. Now, in a way, I would argue that this is actually interesting and smart and dark and subversive in the right ways for Don Belisario to have written this episode because it creates this interesting sort of Sam's actions are having these huge consequences. However, it's all undercut by the fact that none of this is ever actually explored because Belisario is more interested in creating his case against Lee Harvey Oswald than he is in exploring the lore and mythos of his creation. Wouldn't it have been an interesting twist if we find out in the end that Sam had put all the pieces together in place and he caused the assassination? That would have been a... Yeah. I don't think, you know, would have been people would have handled it well or whatever. I, I don't think, I mean, I mean, no, 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 no. Yes. Um, um, so we get the, we get another flash leap. Um, Sam is a little disoriented. Uh, a young soldier comes up to him asking for the duty roster. We can see by the name tag yeah. that it's Belisario. Yeah. This is another reason why Belisario wrote the episode. Because Belisario, as he tells it, and who am I to doubt this, met Lee Harvey Oswald, when he was in the Marine Corps, sure. almost got into a fight with him because of, you know, basically being What's so offended. What's right. right. Being so offended by, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald's espousing all this communist propaganda. Yeah. Uh, was reading an issue of Pravda, which is, you know, yeah. a communist newspaper. Um, the thing that colors Belisario's judgment in this episode, and again, I think is the thing that might not color... Sorkin, for instance, when we talk about the West Wing as a parallel, is he gives no weight to the theory of communism. He gives no weight to... it's. He is still viewing things from a very Cold War lens. Communism, bad. Oh, yeah. And I'm sorry to tell any of our listeners out there that might not agree with this, but in a 2020 context, communism itself might not be all bad. Mm -hmm. There could be good communists. Yeah. Communism, as, you know, the, 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 the problem is, is because we set these things up in this rigid black and white model. Uh-huh. It's the reason why, you know, in a way, like, in the, in the same way that an agnostic might not believe, like, it's like, I don't know, maybe there's a God, maybe there's not, I don't really know. It's one of those things where it's like, that's how I approach this. Maybe Lee acted alone, maybe he didn't, I don't really know, there's no way I'm ever going to really know, maybe we can explore and play in the sandbox, but let's try and look at things from different perspectives. Mm. And Belisario never does that. No. This is the most pointless scene in Quantum Leap ever. So are you saying that this could be Belisario jerking off? 
It could be Belisario. Definitely jerking off. It is the most self-indulgent scene in Quantum Leap If you were trying to show, like, the important pieces of, like, this is what's leading Oswald to November 22nd, 1963, what does this scene matter? I would, what I will say, to try to come to its defense for a, a bit, is it is an interesting scene in the way that it plays out between the two of them. Uh, it's certainly showing more and more that Oswald is taking complete control here. Yeah. That, that 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 Sam is no longer really in control in any way. Yeah. Um, it 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 furthers, I think, that at this particular point in Oswald's life, his history, that he is firmly this thing, that he's no longer kind of exploring or dabbling or whatever. He is firmly this thing. Yeah. Of course. The counter to that, to my own argument, would be that we know that already. Sure. Like, we don't necessarily need to have it illustrated for us, but this is just a way for Belisario to provide his own credibility. Sure. Say, I knew him. Yeah. I looked in his beady little eyes. I know, and that's why, I I mean, like, you say, like, you have no reason to doubt him. Why not? I kind of wonder. I don't know. Did he actually, yeah. If he actually met him, or if he met a weirdo... Kind of like Oswald, sure. and, and I I don't know. But he anyway, does say in that interview uh, that's on YouTube by Academy of TV Arts. He does say uh, that the the guy who pulls him uh, away uh, that you know it's like it's not worth your time. He's insignificant or something. Like that. I think he uses the word insignificant. Yeah, uh, and how that stuck with him. And it's just again, it does kind of further Belisario's argument that this small, insignificant human being with so many psychoses and this, you know, with this unhinged personality or whatever, has to commit this big act in order to kind of, like, justify his existence or whatever. Yeah. Um, Now, this is something I never... Are are we are going to trust that that this guy's... He's literally Don Belisario. Right. So now we live in a universe where both Don Belisario (laughs) goes on to produce television and Quantum Leap, Project Quantum Leap, the government project actually does exist. It's a really fucking meta kind of thing, isn't it's it? It's a real thing. Yeah. At, uh, some, at some point, the government shows up to Don Belisario's house, and he's like, we hear you're pitching a show to NBC. Yeah, right, right. What you know? We gotta get that shit canceled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the episode where Sam leaps into Warren Littlefield and decides Ooh, that, yeah. and Al's like, you gotta make sure they cancel the show. Yeah. Anyway... It also provides one of the cringiest moments of the episode when Lee Harvey Oswald assumes control of Sam and Al goes, he's back. What the fuck? Does Al not care? I know, because even like, because in, in, uh, in the very first scene at the, at the shooting range, like Sam throws out like, this could lead to me assassinating the president. Like, yeah. it, like the stakes are set up. Like I'm stuck leaping into the same person over and over and over again. This has never happened before. He's taking over more and more and more and more. Sam is scared. Sam yeah. is much like in Leap for Lisa when he says, I could never rape or murder anybody. Sam is having moments where you can literally see, like, I mean, there are a couple times when he's almost on the verge of tears. Yeah. It's like almost going back to Leap Home Part 1 when he has to admit that he made it all up and yeah. he runs off into the cornfield. That sure. scene. Like, that's the Sam we're seeing. The Sam where it's just sort of like, this isn't me. I am really scared yeah. right now. I mean, like, we're, we're, we're going to get up to here in the moment where he talks about, like, what it's like to be taken over, and it's like, yeah. he's just, like, kind of floating along. It's like, there's this thing, like, the, like this this legitimate fear of, like, I'm going to be floating along inside his head when he kills someone. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the President of the United States, like, one of the most consequential things of the 20th century. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, like, there's so much humanity and story you could do there. But Which is why the character of Sam Beckett in this episode is unfortunately one of the most inconsequential things about the episode. Yeah. And for a show where Sam Beckett is the point of the fucking show, really? And that's like, like and this then, is an episode that happens to Sam instead of Sam happening to the episode. Let's think. And, and another argument for not being canon, because like you, you could have just you could have just done a TV movie, just 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 showing different points of Lee Harvey Oswald's life that you thought were consequential leading up to the assassination. You didn't have to do this BS thing of like slowly taking over Sam because this is the only way the episode works is if by the time we get to the assassination it doesn't matter who's there we're, we're, we're seeing it happen right this is the TV movie that Don Belisario wanted to write to rebut JFK but they wouldn't produce it so he decided to slot it into his TV show that's kind of what it feels like sometimes yeah anyway Sam has his encounter with Belisario and now he's in Russia and he's being interviewed um, and is you know, Alice is, is gets there and is basically shocked. Well, he's not. Well, he's not there because right like, away, could, right. because like Sam and Oswald are kind of jumping back and forth. Mm-hmm. And and uh, what's the what's the character's name here? Oh, the commander um, uh, 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 Yuri Kosenko. Yes. Yeah. Um, is uh, Kosenko is trying to get him to talk about race car. You too. Now, this is an interesting thing we noticed when we were texting back and forth last night talking about this episode. You watched the episode on Blu-ray. I did. I watched the episode on Amazon. Yes. And as it originally aired, it was a two-hour movie event. Yep. And both on Blu-ray and Amazon, it is split up as the way it was done in reruns, and we lose a big part of this scene. It, we do. Uh, because basically, Oswald Sam is waffling. Because Kazenko is looking for information that Sam doesn't have because Oswald hasn't taken over yet. And to persuade him to tell a story, uh, Kazenko tells a story uh, about his father and I can't being remember. Abusive like, be, being abusive. Being abusive yeah. and basically basically ties it around to, I know it feels weird to betray your country, but here's why it's a good thing. Yeah. On the Blu-ray and online streaming, we have lost that because apparently we are in the rerun cut. Unless you live in the United Kingdom, in which case the Region 2 Blu-rays have the two-hour version of the episode. So once again, you put one over on the colonies. Ah. <laughs> uh, um, but like I guess yeah. it, it, it's, it's a nice human moment for Kosenko. It, it uh, is. But... Ultimately unnecessary, but the type of texture that is sorely missing from this episode. Same, yeah. So as it is, uh, Sam just kind of waffles for a bit, and then we, he just starts revealing. And that's how, if you're watching it as a two-part episode, that's how it ends. To be continued. With Sam giving seemingly important information about you two to the Russians. Uh, interesting to note, obviously, we, we mentioned Honeymoon Express earlier, of course, that one of the things that Al is trying to get Sam to do in order to prove the viability of Project Quantum Leap so that it shouldn't be shut down is to prevent the U-2 spy plane from being shot down. Um, so it's an interesting tie-in that the last time you know Sam was to affect something of historical significance, it was also involving the U-2 uh, spy plane. Um, the... Interesting thing, of course, about this particular scene is that, again, the evidence, if you will, the fact, the established fact that Don Belisario touts, 
we have absolutely no way of knowing the veracity of of this stuff at all. Now, we do do know, for the most part, can can say that we know that Oswald did have an interview of some fashion, Mm -hmm. that he did give information similar enough to what he gives in this scene. Yeah. But was basically told, you have nothing of value for us. Yeah. Thank you. Be on your way. Yeah. But before we get there, so it does end on a, part one does end on a chilling enough note. Yes. Of, of, of whatever. It, it is chilling. And then we come back. The good thing about seeing it as a two-parter is that we do get like, I think it's a shortened reprisal of the, of the opening suite. Like they, they did, they don't do it all, but they kind of give you a short version. You're kind of like getting back into the world of this thing. And then there's a, yeah, and then, previously but, on. Yeah, well, no, they say, so we get, uh, even before the previously on, so we right. get this nice reprisal of the suite, and that totally gets undercut by... Oh, yeah. Quantum Leap, fuck yeah! <laughs> fuck you, it's Quantum Leap season five! It's season five of Quantum Leap! There we go. Yeah. And then we get... I don't <laughs> and then, um, so we get a little bit of a previously on without them flat out saying previously on at least not on on streaming it's just like you get a few things like basically Oswald is taking over Sam yeah and then we get to the end and I, I do like the way this scene is played out in the turn of like Kazenko asking him questions like well, what about this right I don't know but no 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 and becoming more and more clear that Oswald has nothing. There's a really wonderful moment um, when Kozenko shows him the picture of the spy plane. Is this yeah. the plane you're talking about? And you can see, and it's and it's and it's in Bakula again. The nice thing is, is that when Bakula is not having to speak for Don Belisario in this episode, yeah. he has some really wonderful moments. He has and great this, moments, yeah. And this moment is definitely one of them where you can just see, and it's. The thing that's sorely missing from the entirety of this episode, except for a couple of scenes, a big one late in the episode, and this is another example of Scott Bakula humanizing Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. Because he was a human being. Yeah. And you can just see the dejection when he looks and sees this photo, this idea all of a sudden that like, oh, they, they, I... Where, yeah, where did you can get that? I, yeah, it's like, can I, how, how, uh, 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 they know more than I do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is like, because the thing is, is that, we can assume with a good deal of confidence that Oswald never saw the U2 spy plane. Oh, no, no, he didn't no, no, know no. what the fuck it looked like. Yeah. You know, so to, to be confronted with a picture of it, it's just sort of like, it's like, oh, I'm out of my element, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it's this wonderful look of shock, dismay, like he's let down that he can't do more for yeah. the great mm-hmm. communist, you know, Soviet republic. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's this really uh, interesting moment that, that I, I really like a lot. Yeah. Really like yeah. a lot. Yeah. But then, so yeah, they ask Sam to wait outside and then we get... We'll have dinner home. later. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll have yeah. dinner later. Well, like, no, go to the Hotel Berlin because that's where you're staying. Get your, your, your in-tour guide or whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah, go out to this restaurant, blah, 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 blah. And then after they leave, Kazenko and the... Um, I don't think she's name? given a name. Uh, or if actually, she is, I don't. I, I, I can't remember it being. Uh, she's actually given a name. Hang on here, just one, just one. Oh, uh, Anna, Anna Gurry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Played by Erica Amato. Yeah, so it's revealed that that yeah. Um, yeah, we should. I, I suppose the, we should also mention since we're giving her name that we should mention that uh, 
Yuri Kosenko is played by Elia Baskin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which like we both agreed. Like we've seen him in something. We just can't figure out right. where. We're going to believe the point. So we we do get a nice scene here in the hallway between Sam and Al. Um, oh yes, yes, and it, <laughs> Sam Scott Bakula showing the frustration that is the script of like we have to find a like I'm just being drug along. We have to find a way to take an initiative here. Well, there's this inter- yes, and there's also this interesting moment that kind of goes hand in hand with that, where like the 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 YouTube being brought down was a lucky shot. Like, yeah, uh, Al says that. Yeah, and again, I feel like it's another one of those moments where Belisario is dropping in this thing to create some sort of narrative in your brain that says, "Yeah, that shot was one in a million, but anybody can get lucky. They got lucky when they shot down the U two plane. So Oswald fired well, off the bam, 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 bam. Yeah, bam. yeah. but I mean, and the thing. <sighs> And then Sam kind of tries to dismantle the conspiracy. And- yeah, the, the the thing that we forgot to mention is that Al shows up in the middle of the interrogation and he starts freaking out, like, shut up, shut up. Yeah, like, what are you telling them? Tell yeah. like, what are you telling them? And then five minutes later, not even five minutes later, it's undercut by, by him going, oh, Ziga says you didn't tell me anything you didn't already know. Right. Which why is why is Sam leaped in at this point? But that's the other thing, too, that it boggles my mind about Al in this moment is that Al, like, I don't understand why Al is freaking out about this. Like, for Al, this is all history. This has already happened. Like, why is he upset? Why is he freaking out that Sam is telling him this? If anything, it would make more sense if Al is standing there, and as Sam goes into it, it would make more sense for Al to be like, he's back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that would make more sense <laughs> sure. than, than Al freaking out. Um, and it just feels like manufactured drama and tension. Yeah. yeah. Like, the tension of Oswald taking over Sam is enough for me as a viewer. I don't need Al freaking out that... Sam slash Lee is telling them these things. Yeah. Um, but we do get a wonderful moment where, yeah, Sam has that line, I don't become Oswald, I drift alongside him and his thoughts come out. What an awesome way to describe this. Did Deborah Pratt write that line? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I wouldn't I, be surprised. I'm not trying to piss all over Don Belisario. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm just, but, like, no, seriously, it is a wonderful, wonderful yeah. dialogue. Sam... Uh, Scott Bakula, like his delivery of it is beautiful. It's 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 frightening, and in a way, it's almost comforting. Oddly enough, mm-hmm. like it's the idea that they're existing side by side, and that at some points, you know, Lee kind of pushes him out of the way, and mm-hmm. he's like, "No, I'm taking over here." And so it's like the futility of Sam's existence sure. in this particular leap is really there's a spotlight thrown on it in a nice way. Yeah. It's just unfortunate because, again, I think Belisario's mission often overtakes Sam's, if you will. Yeah. You know? Because Sam doesn't have a mission. No, right? So um, so now we get to the next thing. Now he has to go back to his hotel, and he needs to attempt suicide. Oh, boy. So in the original history, Oswald really did try to commit suicide. But what they muddle in this is because... He had been rejected Russian citizenship. And he was despondent over that. So he went back and he wrote in his diary. And actually what Al reads off in the scene that we're about to see here, it, that's that's actually historically correct. Like, yeah. That's what... Mostly. There are a couple mostly, of... Mostly. It, it's funny because there are a couple of like misspellings or, or things that are just like a little off. Mm-hmm. Like it, It's just kind of weird where it's just sort of like... You know, for as much shit as you can blow somebody like Oliver Stone, like... The fact that he struggles so much to maintain a certain sense of, like, you know, 
uh, 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 veracity to, to the surroundings and mm-hmm. proceedings. It's funny because Ray Manzarek, I remember uh, when kind of talking about the Doors film, mentions that Oliver Stone went through all the trouble to make sure that the correct issue of TV Guide was on the table in the scene that they were shooting, but the scene itself was complete or utter fiction. It's like the idea that, like, you know, Belisario is going through so much to kind of be like, this is what happened, this is the way it happened, and yet there are these little things. That he doesn't get right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, Oswald was, was rejected citizenship, and so that's why he tried to commit suicide. I hate this scene. Do you, do there's you no... There's no... It, it's, it's like, why? Why? It, it's just... It's creating false tension. Why does Sam have to attempt suicide? And on top of that, we know he attempted suicide because... He wrote it in his diary entry, which Sam is now not writing. Yeah. Because he's so freaked out about, I'm not going to kill myself. And it just, ah. I, yes. I, I, the, it's difficult for me to be hypercritical of this scene. And one of the reasons why is because it is so deeply unsettling. It is so, like, as I watch it, whether I'm choosing to suspend my disbelief a little bit more or I'm more gullible or, or whatever the case is, I get drawn in enough to be deeply unsettled by it. And last night when I was watching, it just created this sort of like vacant feeling in the pit of my stomach. The horror, the abject horror that Sam must be experiencing as he is being coached by Al into committing suicide. You know what would have made the scene more interesting? Hmm. If Oswald had taken over. Oh, and fuck you, yeah. And you, saw and, Scott, and you saw Scott Bakula playing through... Have you watched Watchmen yet? No. <laughs> I know, I know. And had you watched Scott Bakula play through the actions, but you see in his eyes that he's riding alongside Oswald and he's freaking out. My argument... Here's... You know what? Yeah, I... No, no. I'm not even going to argue it. I completely agree. And had Al been having to try to talk him out of it, would have been a much better scene. Had it been a... Yes, you are absolutely right. Had it been a scene of Lee Harvey Oswald writing in his diary, Al picking it up, reading it, looking at Sam, like, what are you doing? No, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And then there... and, and, And it would have... And it also would have, had he used the quantum physics thing that he used in the bar again yeah. and it worked enough to get Sam to leap out again because again yeah because Oswald does need to try to kill himself exactly. because because that is consequential to history exactly but if we had we had seen Sam writing out the diary and carrying through the actions and Al trying to get through him and then him leaping out of time that makes more sense than making a big deal like you need to do this and then Sam leaps out just as he's going to do it it also would have raised the stakes a million percent in the book depository and I'll tell you why when we get there. But but yes, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. It would have been even more chilling. It would have been even more it would have been more dramatically viable. But again, Balisario is teaching us a lesson. And it's not necessarily about the dramatic viability of it. The weird thing is, is I almost feel like he would have taught us a better lesson and made the episode more dramatic had that been the case. Yeah. But we're just two guys in a basement. We're, we're in two guys in a basement in Chicago. Whatever. So again, it's chilling, and it is it, it, it is effective in some ways because the moment when you know Sam sticks his hand into the ice water and then grabs the razor blade and then puts it up to his wrist and then he leaps out, 
it, I mean, it's 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 chilling enough, if you sure. will. Um, man, it's yeah. Um, it's just un- it was just very unsettling to me. Okay. Um, we get the flash leap. Yeah. Uh, and now he is. Um, we don't know this at the time, but he is basically outside the home of General Edwin Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has just attempted to assassinate him. Lee Harvey Oswald has. Yeah. Um, it's April 10th, 1963. Yeah. So now we're just seven months away. Yeah. A month after the first leap in. A month after the first leap in, yes, correct. Um, Edwin Walker was an interesting individual. Um, he was a very conservative... Um, Apologies, quick note for the heat. It is rather cold and snowy in Chicago, so yeah. he had to kick in. <laughs> if you if you notice my voice shaking the last ten minutes, it's because <laughs> I've been getting cold. Yes. Um, so yeah, he was um, a a very conservative um, military officer uh, during World War II and the Korean War. Um, he resigned his commission in, in 1959. Um, Eisenhower refused to accept his resignation. Um, but he again resigned during 1961 because he was formally admonished by the Joint Chiefs of Staff for referring to Eleanor Roosevelt and Harry Truman as pink, which of course was another term, you know, for, for, for communists. Uh, he had very radical views, uh, was a segregationist, um, was opposed to the integration of the University uh, of Mississippi, um, by James Meredith. He actually promoted riots. He was arrested uh, in just October of 1962 for that act. Here's where Don Belisario doesn't want you to know something. And that is that Lee Harvey Oswald believed passionately in civil rights. He actually believed that we were all created equal. He believed and was all for what Kennedy was trying to do with civil rights. He was for the integration of schools. He was for these things. His attempt to assassinate Edwin Walker, misguided and horrible and awful as it was... We're not excusing Lee Harvey Oswald's actions. Yes. ...was instigated by his belief that Edwin Walker was a bad person for being a racist and a segregationist and so virulently anti-communist and a John Bircher. So... It's interesting that he decides to leave all of that out. Yep. Uh, A lot of people, a lot of historians, kind of hold this as the linchpin in proving that Oswald was the assassin by basically saying if he was willing to do this, then clearly he was willing to do that. Okay, I guess. Uh Um, But it is interesting that so much weight is given to this event which, again, is not proven. Mm-hmm. It's not proven that Lee Harvey Oswald actually did this. Mm-hmm. The only reason why we know this is because Marina Oswald, in an interview, I think, a year after the assassination of Kennedy gave, she was like, he also did this. Mm-hmm. So, if we want to take it as established fact, sure. as Belisario says, great, let's take it as established fact. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to argue that point yeah. of view. We see the aftermath of that now. Yeah. I thought this was a very interesting scene, like especially like the way it's shot when oh, Sam yeah. first sleeps in. Like it, the direction and the acting, shot very well. No dialogue. I, uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Most I, of the best scenes in this episode, quite frankly, don't have any dialogue. dialogue yeah. Which, hmm. yeah. Uh, 
so that yeah that that's a great moment and then we get we get back home and then Al shows up this is an audio format so you can't see me rubbing my forehead <laughs> in frustration so Al shows up and they had the brilliant idea of putting Oswald into the accelerator chamber and through DNA mapping typing leaping out Sam's neurons and mesons back to Sam so that they could deconnect them yeah if you so, can do that so one back to all of our arguments for Leap for Lisa like if, if you can do that why can't you figure out how to retrieve Sam one yep. second at what point did they do this because there's no one in the waiting room between leaps. Sam just leaped out, and he's just leaped in. Which Oswald did they do this to? Well, and that's the thing. It's clear that it's clear that, that wasn't thought about, because all the evidence that we are given as far as Project Quantum Leap is concerned is that it's the same Oswald that it has been since the beginning of the episode. And that doesn't make sense based on what we know about Quantum Leaping. Yeah. So it's, it's very strange. Unless... Nope, that doesn't make sense anyway. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. So the one, um, one of the great moments I do like in the scene is when uh, Marina like presents him with like basically like he had planned this assassination out like a military operation and like like his political justification and like escape routes and blah blah blah. And what I find interesting about it is that it's kind of like. Scott Bakula is doing this thing like it's Oswald and Sam like talking at once mm-hmm. and like Sam is like oh like I planned this out like a military operation and this is blah 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 like I do like I do appreciate that yeah uh, we get some more violence yep. towards Marina towards Marina yep. um, the baby starts crying and it's, it's just yeah whatever it's and like Belisario put the women in this episode just to be the object of violence yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we get another really bad attempt at comedy when he's listening to the radio and he's freaking out like oh I missed like I missed I'm just so close I missed and like I, I try to shoot him I, I can't remember like what the thing is like I did this I did this and Al is yelling you didn't do it Oswald did and we get this weird breaking out of Oswald you don't have to yell out I can hear you yeah and it, what the f- yeah are you doing you know it's interesting. I, I want to go back real quick and I do want to say because you know we've, we've blown him a lot of shit let's, let's, let's at least say that Belisario using the women as objects of violence to illustrate that Oswald is a bad person because he hits women. I mean, good on you for saying that hitting women is bad and a sign of a bad person. Fine, cool, whatever. So I don't want to, I just want to throw that in gloss, there real quick. Yeah, sure. I don't want to yeah. gloss over that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. The thing about this scene, too, that's very interesting is that Marina has discovered the note. Um, I, I, I misspoke earlier. The note that Marina is reading is actually found 10 days after the assassination of Kennedy. Okay. Um, but again, you know, it's one of those things where it's just sort of like, if somebody said, if somebody came to me today with evidence, proof that that note was planted and Oswald never really wrote it and all sure. this was a setup or whatever, I, I, like you were saying earlier, I'd be like, oh yeah, okay, I can believe that. Yeah. So, so it's one of those weird things where it's just sort of like, just because just because somebody tells me that this note was written by Oswald, Marina had it, and, and it proves that he tried to assassinate Walker, which therefore provides some sort of evidential link that he could have killed Kennedy. Like, it, it, it's, to me, again, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. And, and is it an established fact? Like, can you actually say, this is fact? You know, it's like one of those things where I just want to be like, Don, at the end of the day, I'm not saying your point of view is wrong. 
I'm not saying you're not entitled to your point of view. For you to cloak it in the language of saying, this is established fact, is just as bad as if Oliver Stone was standing up there saying, my movie is exactly what happened and no one can refute it. You can't know that. And was Tom Selleck just fucking unavailable? <laughs> God damn, give me that Magnum P.I. leaf. Ah! You know? Um, and so we, this scene ends with Don Belisario beating you over the head again, where Sam playing out, like, if, I, if he hadn't ducked... I don't know if they address this at all. Like, I read somewhere, like, they think, like, the reason why Oswald missed is that he grazed... Like the bullet, like just grazed like the edge of the window pane, yes. yep. and it knocked it off just between that and and Walker ducking, and it, it knocked it just the bullet just far enough off course. Uh, but anyway, and so like we get this whole like, and I hate when they do this in TV shows, um, when when Sam is almost doing like an out facing the audience, breaking the fourth wall kind of thing when he's like facing the camera, he'd be dead. He'd be dead in the world. Remember Lee Harvey Oswald yeah. as the guy. Yeah, 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 it, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. Now again, I'm not arguing that Oswald didn't do this at all. I am, for the most part, choosing to believe Marina Oswald when she would state that Lee told her he did this. Like I, I'm not trying to refute that. I am just trying to say that for someone to tell me that that is established fact misses the mark a little bit. Like, it's not. Just because someone said he did this, and just because someone said he wrote this letter, the truth of the matter is, that's not established fact. That's evidence. Mm -hmm. But established fact would be this bullet conclusively came from this gun, which had this man's fingerprints on it. Or these three people, separately, individually from one another, all said they saw this person pull the trigger. What we've got is not established fact. Yeah. Which is okay. It is. But when the entire premise of the episode is setting straight something that JFK, the movie, got wrong... Right? Again, it would be different if Belisario had not included that little disclaimer at the beginning of the episode. Sure. And in interviews, instead of insisting that he was right and Stone was wrong or whatever, it instead, if it would have been, I was just stating my case. I, sure. It, it would have been much more along the lines of, like, I believe this and I wanted to state my case. Yeah. The reason why I feel so passionately that I almost have to kind of pick his case apart is because he looks at me with this moral certitude and says, Lee Harvey Oswald did it, these are the facts, and I'm telling them to you. I mean, if you had just given me a disclaimer that said, screw you, Oliver Stone. (laughs) Right? I'd be like, okay. Sure. Oliver Stone's opinion, my opinion. And Donald Belisario is a talented human being who's provided us with endless hours of entertainment and enjoyment through many, many television shows, least of which, not the least of which, is, is one of our favorite programs of all time, Quantum Leap. I am pulling the pigtails of someone I love. Yes. Much like I do with Deborah Pratt and Portrait for Troyan. Yes. <laughs> but I do just feel like, because of the nature of our podcast, the tone that we have set prior to this, that it's fair yes. game. It's yeah. fair game to do yeah. this. Yeah. So that's yeah. why we're doing it. So anyway. Uh, so now, uh, why why are we in New Orleans? What are we doing? It's you know again, it's 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 Belisario building his case. It's showing it's showing now now we're showing 
that Lee Harvey Oswald was a smug and smarmy son of a bitch peddling pamphlets, believing passionately in a free Cuba uh, headed by Fidel Castro who was willing to cheat on his wife with the pretty blonde thing who finds him interesting. Like, that's basically what we get in this scene. I don't know if I ever got that Oswald was willing to cheat on his wife. If he was willing to try... So first off, uh, let, let's talk about Ellen LaForge. Mm. Ellen LaForge. We've seen Ellen LaForge before. Vicky uh, Jacobs, right? Vicky Jacobs in... Uh, Miss Deep South. Miss Deep South. Oh, and I was so hopeful because I couldn't remember her character's name from Miss Deep South. I was so hopeful that she had the same name. It would not have been. It would not have been inconceivable, right? For it to be her. For it to be, yeah. What a nice, cute little Easter egg it would have been for it actually to be Vicky for Miss Deep South. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I never got from the scene that Oswald had the intention to cheat with her. I really thought he was just really passionate about winning this convert over to the cause. I think at first that's true, I, but I do think that towards the end of their conversation... Here's my, my argument for it would be, why have her notice his wedding ring and be turned off by the wedding ring? If Because, it, again, the convention... I just think this, this scene is useless, and it was just a useless turn and a useless scene. Well, I, I, would, say, I would say two things. One, it's, it's, it, this is a scene that is mostly fact. The conversation with Ellen is made up and fictionalized for the purposes of drama or whatever. But the rest of the scene is pretty much fact. There are photos, there, are, there, is, there is plenty of actual evidence to show that this is exactly what happened other than the conversation with Ellen when Oswald was in New Orleans peddling these pamphlets, getting in the sure. fight, being, you know, all this sort of stuff. We know that that happened. But again, the other thing that it fails to do in this instance, it almost starts to do it, but then it takes this weird turn where I feel like he's, yeah, he's, he, he, is, he, he is coming on to her a little bit. He's like, yeah, let's drink, let's get dinner, let's let's bang it out in the hotel room. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it feels like to me. Towards the I don't know. Scene. I feel like if that was his intention, Oswald could have very slyly slid his ring off. Well, or, I would argue that the thing there is, is that Oswald, again, being the type of person that he is, and, 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 and being you know, of the, the, the communist mindset and being of the, is that I think that for him, this doesn't mean, pointing out my wedding ring, doesn't mean I can't pursue you. Yeah. It just means that or I'm just there. Or just being a man in 1963. Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> right. Um, but what I, what I wanted to say is that, again, we're being kind of force-fed this Castro is bad because Castro is bad, Oswald must be bad, too. Well, here's where I want to blow your mind holes for a second. Who the fuck says Castro is bad? An outdated 50-year-plus notion that a man who helped liberate a country from an equally bad and horrible person in Batista? Like, why? why? Just because he had a different political view doesn't make him a bad person. You know, and it boggles my mind sometimes that it took us, it took us damn near until, you know, the past 20 years or so to start to kind of realize that if we worked with Cuba mm. instead of against Cuba, maybe we could get something good and positive done. 
you know, maybe instead of trying to convert the rest of the world to our version of democracy, if we wanted to work with them, maybe we could actually accomplish more. But no. Cuba bad. Castro mm-hmm. bad. Oswald bad. Alec Cadell bad. Alec Cadell bad, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Uh, so the scene ends, him getting in a fight, the police coming to break it up, getting arrested, Al shows up, and Al lays out the stakes. We, you know, this August, we're just a few months before the assassination. If you can't, if you can't do it, you know, if you can't snap out of this, nothing is going to change. Yeah. And then we get into, uh, I, I, I just, I'm going to jump ahead to this scene. We get this great scene between Al and Gushy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like the first time that we, we see the hallways of the project. We're going to see a lot of more of them this season. Uh, we see like the hallways of the project and they're walking towards, supposedly, I think, I think it's the waiting room. Yeah. Um, and Gushy throws out this idea that Ziggy says whether Oswald, whether Sam is Oswald or Sam, it's immaterial. If history plays out, we'll know the truth of what really happened. And I just find that like an interesting thing of like, well, it's like if who who says we're there to save JFK? I mean, it's horrible that a human being was killed, but I do know like. There are some historians and like experts on that area, on that era, who have laid out that while JFK getting assassinated was a tragedy, there are arguments to be made that the latter half of the 20th century would have not played out well. Like for example, one argument you mentioned JFK and civil rights. Actually, there, there's a lot of evidence JFK. If black people got civil rights, cool. But that wasn't one of his things. That was well, a, that, that, is, that, that is, was LBJ's thing. That is patently false. That is absolutely false. And that's one of the things where I do have enough experience to say that that was false. Kennedy, in the last year of his presidency in particular, mm-hmm. was absolutely converted to the cause of civil rights. Very passionately. And that the argument actually is the reverse. Had Kennedy not been assassinated, he would have gotten it done. However, it might have taken more time. Okay. The thing that happened because Kennedy was assassinated is that LBJ, and he and LBJ even remarked, said this, he felt Kennedy's hand in signing the document because it was because LBJ literally went to Congress and said, "We have to do this. This was what Jack wanted to get done, and I will absolutely use his ghost to get it done because this is what he wanted, and we have to get it done, and we have to get it done as soon as possible." Now, also, the flip side of this, looking at it from every angle and perspective, is LBJ also knew if he didn't get it done, he wasn't going to get reelected. But okay. Kennedy absolutely believed strong. Now, early in his presidency, civil rights was not an issue for him. Hmm. Civil rights became an issue for him because the Peace Corps, in particular, mm-hmm. which was started in his name, um, and the Freedom Rides, and seeing what happened with Meredith in Mississippi, and and desegregation. He, I mean, he laid it all out in a, in, in, in a public address to the nation. Like, he went on television and he, and he literally said, equal opportunity is for all Americans, and I will stake my... I mean, he, he, said, he literally said the words, I will stake my presidency on civil rights. You don't say that unless you believe. His last, in his last interview, before he was assassinated, he laid out two things that absolutely would have changed the course of history had he lived. 
One, pulling out of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. He laid it out point blank and said, yeah. I do not believe that we can win the war in Vietnam, and I do not believe we should be in Vietnam. We would not have continued to be in Vietnam the way that we were in Vietnam had JFK remained president, mm-hmm. which is fodder for the conspiracy theorists in saying that sure. he was killed yeah. for that very reason. Yeah. The other thing he said is that we absolutely have to enact civil rights. Um, as I as I mentioned, I actually don't know if it went into the last episode because I might have mentioned it in a version of the episode that didn't make it out. <laughs> it exists, yeah. I had the, the distinct honor and privilege of playing John F. Kennedy on the 50th anniversary of his assassination in a play for mm-hmm. the Civil Rights Theater Project at National Pastime Theater here in Chicago. I, I did a lot of research. It's very, you know, it's very close to my heart. Um, it might have been podunk, but it wasn't community theater. Uh, <laughs> I got paid, motherfuckers, but anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I did a lot of research, and, and it makes, and, and honestly, it makes some of this stuff difficult for me because it's 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 hard for me to read about his assassination in a very different way than it was before I played the role. Quite frankly, sure. Uh, there was there was a time where there was a moratorium where I could pretty much read anything and everything about him up until November of '63, and then I just kind of stopped. Sure. Um, but but no, I mean, civil rights was incredibly, and he he wanted to be the one to sign the bill. You know, he he said he he said that when he you know when he signed the bill, he would be fulfilling the promise of Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there are Sorensen and Schlesinger and the people that were around him at the time. You know, can speak to how passionate he was about it. You know, his brother mm-hmm. ended up kind of picking up that that torture. I mean, there are many people that say that his brother would not have undergone the change that he went had Jack not been killed. Mm-hmm. His brother was his. If anyone was kind of in his ear saying like Jack, we don't need to do this. It was Bobby. Bobby a lot of times would mm-hmm. you know was not he was not as for some of these things as Jack was. But Jack went under a, a, a transformation in the last year of his life, and a lot of right. that had to do with with the baby being lost. You know, the, the the Kennedys had a third child, Patrick, and he died after 40 days, and that was a huge. I, I mean, that that was a huge blow to both of them, mm-hmm. um, and 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 it really changed the way that he saw his legacy, mm-hmm. and he saw what he could accomplish, and so for for him, it was very. I don't know. It was mm-hmm. it was very very important, and okay. he did and he did want to accomplish it. The threat was: is could he do it? Before his term was up, and could he get reelected? Which uh, was I one see. of the reasons why he went to Texas in the first place. Okay, because it was to try to win votes. Mm-hmm. Because that was the other thing at the time. The South. I use that blanket term loosely. Sure. I'm not trying to say that every Southerner is racist or every Southerner at the time hated JFK or anything like that. But the overall prevailing feeling was the South did not want Jack Kennedy president and did not want him in the South. Ah, okay. But 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 the whole I mean yeah his whole thing was for I mean he he wanted to accomplish civil rights he wanted to accomplish the pull out of Vietnam and he wanted to put a man on the moon those were like his three mm-hmm. big picture missions and to continue yeah. a progressive relationship with the Soviet Union. Well, that's interesting because I've read it from more than one like historian point of view. Like they thought that LBJ was the reason civil rights got pushed through, and had JFK lived, that would not have happened. Yeah, that's not true. That's that might have been true up until about up until about like October or so of 1962. Mm-hmm. It was not a big picture issue for him. Yeah, but it was after October of 62, everything changed yeah. for him. But, but to bring it back to this episode, how much more interesting would it have been had we explored a little bit of that? Like, what are the, I mean, not just like JFK being assassinated bad. Like, what 
how interesting would it have been for them to explore like the historical implications of what happens if we save JFK? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, or what? Or yeah. And, and I mean, I, unfortunately, I've not read it, and I haven't seen the TV series, and it's really on my to-do list. I swear it is. But isn't that part of what King explores in eleven twenty two sixty three? Yes, eleven. I I, uh, I want to talk about it, but I don't want to give spoilers because it's it's a it's an excellent book. But yeah, they they do talk a lot about yeah. Uh, it's um, the time traveler uh, George is, is the character's name he takes on the mantle of Al by the way the time travel uh, plot device takes place underneath Al's diner yeah. in the book which I've always wondered how much that was like a, a, a wink to Quantum Leap fans from Stephen King um, but the premise of the book is uh, a guy goes back in time to stop the JFK assassination but because of the way the time travel device works he has to go back to 1957, and he just has to live out six years in the past. Yeah. And without getting into what all the books about, it, it's a, I cannot recommend it enough. If you're, if you're into the JFK assassination, and if you're into that, check it out. If you think you don't like Stephen King, this is not a typical Stephen King book, go check it out. Um, but part of George's mission in the book is that he has to prove to himself, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Oswald is the sole assassin before he tries to stop him. Because basically, he's going to try to assassinate Oswald well before the assassination, but he has to prove to himself first that Oswald was, was, the, sole, yeah. was the sole assassin. Right. But in that exploration between George and Al, the original person who was going to do it, there is a lot of discussion of, like, this is what saving JFK means. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, you know, I, I just read the book. Don't, don't, don't watch the miniseries. It's, J- it's James Franco. Don't reward him. Don't. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know. Um, yeah. I, you know, I want to. Um, yeah. I, there's a there's a wonderful interview on the eve of the and it's and it's something that that I listened to um, right right before the premiere of the play. But there's a wonderful interview actually with John Lewis. The, you know, representative um, from from Georgia, uh, who, who's you know kind of a, a bit of a towering figure in his own right uh, in the Democratic Party and, and civil rights. Um, and he, you know, he knew Kennedy. He met Kennedy, um, and he and he speaks to the fact that there are people that are critical of Kennedy's legacy on civil rights. And you know, John Lewis's thing is is like, I knew him. I shook his hand. I heard what he had to say. And he was the first person, you know, he's the first white leader to speak to a national audience and say that this is a moral issue and that that in and of itself was enough of a condemnation of segregation and racism that there was no doubt in anyone's mind that it had to be seen as you know again it kind of goes back to some of the stuff that we've talked about with MLK you know there were people that that gave MLK a hard time for the fact that he was there with LBJ and he took the pin and he you know he got his pin from the White House and his pat on the back and you know and hey we signed the Civil Rights Act like we we did it and we didn't do it and the thing is it's like there are always going to be people that are critical of those things there are historians that are critical of Abraham Lincoln for signing the Emancipation Proclamation and not doing it earlier and that, you know what I mean so it's mm-hmm. one of those things where it's like look you can you can tear these things apart if you want but really at the end of the day let's take the act let's take what was said and what was done by the human being and let's use that as, as, as our example instead of tearing these people apart hmm. 
I can tear Winston Churchill apart all day long for genocide in India if I want to, in Africa. But at the end of the day, the man is responsible pretty much for saving the modern fucking world. Like, if we had not had Winston Churchill, there is every likelihood that either we wouldn't be here right now or we'd be speaking a different fucking language. So yeah, talk about him being a horrible human being all day, but for God's sake, at least give him the weight of the actions. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing with Kennedy. It's like, at least give him the weight of his actions and his words. <sighs> so it's a beautiful scene between Al and Gushy. It's a beautiful scene between Al and Gushy. Uh, I mean, it, it throws out the interesting notion of like, let's just see history plays out. Then we'll, then we'll know who did it. Right. Um, but then this is where we get Don Belisario speaking through Al of just saying like Al, Al has come around we, we've seen no evolution Al no. believed there was conspiracy but now all of a sudden he doesn't and now like like nope we're here and we're gonna go find out the truth uh, some interesting geeky trivia about this scene that I hadn't noticed before Gushy is carrying a season 2 season 3 era hand link interesting and they pull that out of an old prop store somewhere right uh, and outside, this is the waiting room, but the outside of the waiting room is going to look different later this on. This is the imaging chamber, though. Is it? Yeah. Because the next time we see Al, he's interrogating he's interrogating uh, Oswald in the chamber. It looks like it is, but it's not. The next time we see Al, he actually checks in on Sam, and then he goes to the, uh, the, the waiting room. Is it? Room. Yeah. Because it's even noted in Matt's book that it's odd because the imaging chamber door opens very slow compared to what we see in the... Um, you know when we're seeing. I've always said it's the waiting room because the very next thing we see is because because I had I had a moment too. I actually had to rewind it, but the very next thing we see isn't actually Al with Oswald. But the entrance to the to the imaging chamber is in the control room, and we are definitely not anymore. It's and not. we are definitely not in the control room. There is a hand link. There is a hand link thing outside the door. Yeah. Outside the door. Yeah. Anyway, wherever we are, Al has come around. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he gets. And this is clearly Don Belisario speaking through. It's like it's easier to believe in plots, right? Because if one sicko can do this, what hope is there for the rest of us? Right. And now we're in uh, we're in Dallas. November 22nd, November. 1963. Well, November 21st, we get the night. Sam leaps in the night before. Oh, that's right. Sorry, yes, yes, and yes. He's, uh, combing his daughter's June, hair. Yeah, Junie's hair. Yep. Uh, combing Junie's hair, and he's watching. JFK on speak in Fort Worth yeah yeah. Before, yeah and he's got that evil weird eye thing that Scott Bakula's doing whenever he's whenever he's Oswald and we get this weird overlay of Oswald pulling the trigger mm -hmm. with the exception of that mm -hmm. Oswald pulling the trigger the sequence of events that we get with Sam on the eve of the assassination and the morning of the assassination are either the best scenes in the episode or the second best scenes in the episode. Um, because Lee Harvey Oswald is a human being. He's combing his daughter's hair. Mm -hmm. He's kissing his daughters goodbye. He's kissing his wife goodbye. Mm -hmm. He's leaving the money and wedding ring on the, you know, the nightstand. Again, the odd thing is, is Belisario chooses to deviate from established fact here, though, because Marina has said that she was awake when Oswald left, that they had a conversation before he left, that Oswald is like, hey, you should buy those shoes. 
you know, that Oswald had been, the night before, had been being like, you should come to Dallas and live with me, we should all live together, we shouldn't, because there, because mm. the thing that we don't get is that he's in Irving, Texas, which is not in Dallas, mm. and that he has been keeping, like, staying in, like, a flop house, basically, yeah. in Dallas, going to work at the book depository, and then on the weekends commuting back to Irving. He'd spent the past couple of weekends away. Now he's back again. They've had the weekend together. He's, he was outside playing with the girls all day yesterday. They were having mm-hmm. a great time. Everything was wonderful. You know, he, he, he's spending some time with them at night. He stayed up really late that night. He had trouble sleeping, apparently. He wakes up the next morning. He says, I left some money on the table. Make sure you get the shoes that you wanted to get. I know you really wanted those shoes. I love you. Bye-bye. At one point, like, she had offered to make him breakfast or something like that, but he said no, because usually he just would drink coffee and leave. So it, it, it's very odd, again, that that Belisario chooses to deviate from what Marina has said happened that morning. Mm-hmm. That said, it's an incredibly beautiful scene, and it makes it humanizes Lee Harvey Oswald yeah. in a wonderful way. Mm-hmm. He's a father and a husband... Regardless of what he's about to do, if he does it, whatever you want to, you know, put sure, whatever. It's just a human moment, and it's wonderfully done. Yeah, and you wonder, and like when we talked about earlier, that scene of of Sam says he floats alongside Oswald. Like it's nice to know, like like Sam is like kind of watching this floating along. Like I kind of got like it, it's it's kind of like Sam and Oswald acting together. Yeah. It's moving. It's a very moving scene. And the score helps with that, too. The music is beautifully done. Mm -hmm. It's shot well. Scott Bakula is on point. What you just said is absolutely true. That it feels like... It it almost feels like they're existing together in this moment. Mm -hmm. As opposed to either one really taking over. Yeah. It's a a very moving scene. And 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 it's the... I think... Other than one other scene, which we're coming to very shortly, is, Mm -hmm. is, is probably my favorite scene of the episode. Yeah. So he gets picked up from work. He gets picked up for work. Yep. Uh, he's got his gun ready to go. Curtain rods. Curtain rods. Is, yeah, this is yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all established, like playing out. And Sam is Oswald. He's heading towards the assassination. And this is where we get intercut, intercut with scenes of Al interrogating Oswald and Je- pulling out a gun. What are we doing? Are we bothered by the fact that he says, I will blow your brains out knowing what's about to happen in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963? It's a little weird. I find it in such poor taste. It's a little weird. Yeah. And I don't... I don't buy Al... No! Like, with the handgun. Like, even bluffing. Like, what is... I mean, from, from, from just from a safety issue, like, you gotta calculate the odds of, like, what if... Oswald is able to get a hold of that gun. And the fact that he goes right there. Yeah. And the fact that all of the beautiful, deeply moving stuff we just talked about is completely undercut. I almost said mustache twirling, but this is a different breed of villain altogether. Is deeply undercut by creepy little bastard Lee Harvey Oswald. He's a bad, bad man. He did it. He did it. He shot him dead. Yeah. Vibe. Which is all we get in this. Yeah. We just got this beautiful human moment, and now all we get is Willie Garson's creepy little beady fucking eyes. Ha ha ha. Yeah. You'll never get the truth out of me. I'll fucking shoot you if I have to. You know, it's just... Yeah. Worst part of the episode for me. Yeah. I mean, especially what we know from a couple episodes later. Yeah. If Leapy dies, Sam doesn't leap. Which... 
I, you know, I guess can be evidence that this is a bluff. But, but there's a bluff. Lot. There could be a struggle for a gun. The gun can go off. Sure, right. I what mean, a chance. What, yeah, what a there, chance. There, there, there's some weird quantum leapy, timey, wimey, Jeremy, bear me stuff in the thing. <laughs> what is like firing off a bullet in the waiting room? What is that bouncing off of? What is, I don't know. Anyway. <sighs> no, I agree. The one moment in this scene that I'd forgotten about totally is we get to the end and Oswald is like, no, I'm not going to shoot him, but Hidel is. Uh, yeah. But with the fuck, I, I mean, we've, Al's already established he, know, he knows everything. Like, he knows, like, the gun he used. He knows all the guns that he owns. He knows this, 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 and this. He says, this is what Marina's going to say. I don't know what Oswald's trying to say. Like, this other guy, Hidel's going to do it, whatever. But we get this moving moment, like, they're looking down, and Sam breaks through in the waiting room, and he tells Al, I'm acting alone. You have to come stop me. What a beautiful moment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, especially because you kind of get this idea that Sam is kind of bouncing forth between home and whatever mm-hmm. right now. Well, and it's also, you know, the other thing that I love about it is that it's a nice moment of, of, of Sam just being like, Al, I need you. Yeah. And, and, and it's so strange because throughout the course of this episode, Al is obviously there at some critical moments. Yeah. Um, but again... It, it just feels like a missed opportunity when it comes to the relationship between the two of them. Mm-hmm. The episode could have played really beautifully if, much like we had with, you know, when we talked about for Lisa and the idea of if, if we'd gotten a longer period of time of Sam kind of agonizing over Al maybe being gone permanently, you know, or the reverse of Sinjin realizing that he has to say goodbye to Sam or something, yeah. like some, some beautiful character moments. You know, we, we don't get the opportunity for how agonizing this must really be for Al until... Oh, he pulled a gun. He must be really mad. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate because because it's clear that Sam deeply needs Al, and that Al is fighting for Sam. But it gets so muddied by all of the "I'm Don Belisario" and this is what I believe about the Kennedy assassination that we don't get what could really be strong character drama from this. Yeah. Um, however, we now get what could potentially be fights for that scene of Oswald leaving home the best scene of the episode because as Sam is there with the gun ready to take aim Al resorts to the bag of tricks mm-hmm. that breaks through to Sam mm-hmm. of what are the four principles of quantum physics what is the law of blah 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 what is this what is this what is this something we forgot to mention earlier in the episode is that Sam tells Al that he remembers exactly where he was on the day Kennedy was shot because of this, this, and this, and this. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm not going to say it is I'm about to say it right now. Al uses what Sam told him earlier that is personal to mm-hmm. Sam to snap him back. Your dad's alive. It's November 22nd, 1963. He's teaching you to drive a, ta- a tractor. You know, you're in... Indiana mm-hmm. on a tractor. Your dad's alive. Your dad's alive. He says it multiple times. Your dad's mm-hmm. alive. That's what gets Sam back, mm-hmm. and that is quantum leap. Yeah, and that is a successful moment, and is either the best or the second best moment of this entire episode. Mm-hmm. He gets back. He leaps out. He's no longer Oswald. The shots ring out. Now he is Secret Service agent Clint Hill. Yeah, was a real human being as well. Can I say what, what a little touch that I appreciate? They show Sam leaping in, coming in from out of frame. Oh, really? Yeah, because they 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 show Oswald reconnecting, and they overlay Oswald like over the leaping effect, 
And then when Sam leaps into Clint Hill, he's he's all, like you hear the leaping effect, but but the the, the car that Clint Hill is standing on, mm. he's coming around the corner, and you see the leaping effect finishing. As it comes around the corner, yeah, okay, and that—that's oh, yeah, yeah. a nice little yeah, touch. Yeah, like you—you—you yeah. you, you know the deal. You know what's going on. We don't right. have to show you the full leap effect. Right, right. We're going to show it like much farther away than we usually show you Sam leaping in, and we're going to show it like halfway through. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. I might yeah. have looked down to write a note or something because sure. I, I actually yeah. didn't catch that. That—that that is really nice. Um, and then all help races. Yeah, and and here's where I want to 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 make a, a statement. It. It is obviously a fascinating subject, mm-hmm. and it is something that has intrigued us for almost 60 years, and it is something that we have argued about, written about, made movies about, made documentaries about, etc., etc., ad infinitum. It is important that we not lose sight that a human being, a potentially great human being, was murdered that day in one of the most horrific ways that we can possibly imagine with his wife mm-hmm. say whatever you will about his infidelities which are a proven fact at this point we can basically say yes the man was a philanderer mm-hmm. but his wife next to him as has been written and quoted in Bugliosi's book and in the film Parkland, which was partly based on Bugliosi's book, for an incredibly dignified man to be shown in such an undignified manner, freely accessible to mm-hmm. anyone, anywhere, anytime on the internet, is tragedy porn to the highest degree. When Jackie was climbing to the back of the car. She was not reaching for Secret Service agent Clint Hill. She was not trying to escape. She was trying... She was trying to grab a piece of her husband's brains off the trunk of the car. So as we sensationalize and dive into all of this as we so often do and are guilty of even right Mm -hmm. here and right now. Let's try not to forget the human stakes Mm -hmm. of what occurred that day and the toll that they took on the human beings that day. All of us, a fractured American psyche that has been refractured again and again in particular over the past 20 years or so Mm. with the things that we have experienced and continue to experience. That when this happened, it was much unlike anything that had ever happened before and in some ways has happened since. And if we want to, with a couple of keystrokes, we can watch it happen again and again and again. And maybe the lesson to be learned is that just because we can maybe we don't have to Hmm. the autopsy photos are there Mm -hmm. 
for both Kennedy and Oswald. It's all there. Mm. But what does it serve us? And so, in some ways, Belisario's striving to put the record straight, put right what once went wrong, as misguided as this episode may be in some ways. I am grateful that he chose, unlike Oliver Stone, to not focus on the act. That the act itself is felt, reverberates, but the act is not shown in any sort of explicit manner. That the most we get is the bloodied dress of the first lady in the mm. hospital. That he could have inserted the Zapruder film. There are there are frames of it that he that he uses. Oh, okay. But okay. that the but the the most graphic incidents of the film sure are not put on full display. That for him it's not about that, which in some ways might not be a good thing. That it is more about stating his case against this human being. Yeah. And it is about partaking in or deriving any sort of fulfillment over watching a man die. Yeah. I don't know whether to commend Belisario for that or to give him credit for that. Sure. I mean, I, it, it's good that it wasn't shown. Like, I... But one can argue, yeah. I suppose, would it have even been possible? Yeah. Like would have would the network even have approved it? For all we know, maybe he did want to show it. Who knows? That's true. Um, I mean, I think the important thing to him at this point is like he has made his case. Oswald is back. Leaps him into the nearest person, and this is like ah, uh, watching the interview with him this morning. Oh. Telling Betsy about this episode. Yesterday, I was like, do you care about spoilers? She's like, no, I don't care about spoilers. So I lay it out. And I actually found myself getting somewhat emotional when I got to the part, to the big reveal that we're about to get to, that all along Sam was never there to save JFK. He was there to save Jackie. I found myself getting emotional over that. And then I watched his interview this morning. And that was it. Basically, he didn't say this in so many words. He just had to end the episode. Yep. We gotta do because, something because Sam is always there to put something right. He had to find something for Sam to have put right, and so turns out Jackie was dead all along, or turns out Jackie was killed in the original history. And I was like, that was just a cheat to get out of the end of the episode. Nothing significant. Well, another thing too is that like it's cool in that it establishes the fact that Sam is in a slightly different timeline than ours. Right. Right. But yeah, another thing. Uh, not to betray some of what I just said, but the other thing that's interesting is his choice to have Al have to witness the assassination from Lee Harvey Oswald's point of view. Like, poor fucking Al. Yeah. Al has to witness the assassination. Al has to see Lisa die again in a car crash. Al has to... You know what I mean? It's like, jeez! Mm. But, but, and this is not... And I'm not pinning this on Belisario. I'm not pinning this on the producers or the writers of Quantum Leap. This is more indicative of, of the era in which Quantum Leap was made. Sure. But, damn, it's too bad we didn't get any exploration of that as a character. Because today, like, 
if this was, you know, in the reboot, that would be something that would affect this character, and we would see over the course of multiple episodes how it affects the character, yeah. and what comes out of that, and is Al experiencing any sort of weird post-traumatic stress? How does that tie into the fact that he was a POW? How does it tie into, the, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just, unfortunately, it, it means less, because it kind of gets tossed off. It's like the Star Trek reset button we've talked about before. Sure. Episodes of Star Trek tend to mean less because no effect is felt. The yeah. reason why the best of both worlds is considered to be peak Star Trek The Next Generation is because the effects of best of both worlds are felt throughout the series, throughout the films, all the way into Star Trek Picard, which is fantastic and you should go watch it. But like, yeah. you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's weird that, I mean, it's not weird, but it's interesting to think about the fact that Hal has to witness this. Mm-hmm. From Oswald's point of view. Yeah. And it's just interesting to, to, to go down, like, what what does that mean for Al? What does that mean for the project? Like, we yeah. like we have changed history in the most, in a major way, like, of Jackie being saved. Like, what does that mean? Right. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and again, to kind of go back just a little bit, that one of the things that's interesting to me is I feel like Al pleading with Sam when he's set up at the window. Yeah. And end up using his experience on the farm, learning to drive the tractor with his dad when he's 10 years old. His dad, your dad's alive, your dad's alive, all that sort of stuff. The episode ends up becoming, and if it was... This would be great. But in my mind, as I try to rationalize this episode's existence, if you will, as not just being, you know, Belisario jerking off, is that it ends up being about Al saving Sam. Because if Sam stays in that window and pulls that trigger, it would destroy Sam. Yeah. So Al getting him to come to his senses, mm-hmm. not while not the expected result... Yeah. While Al is hoping that it means that Sam comes to his senses, doesn't pull the trigger, Kennedy lives, what happens next? Sure. That it becomes something different, that ultimately still he's saving Sam. And then, of course, we get to see in the hospital, and, and it's, you know, she you, your Swiss cheese brain doesn't remember yeah. this. She died, too, like you were just saying. But, yeah. You know, the question that I'm left with, too, and again, it seems arbitrary because of what we know Belisario says in that interview, but it, there, there's this question in my brain. It's like, why? Like, why? Why does he save Jackie? Like, why? And this is no disrespect to the memory <coughs> of no, Jackie no, 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 Kennedy no, 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 Manassas. Yeah. Like, no disrespect whatsoever. But because usually we are given a very specific, like, you're here to do this because of this. Yeah. And now that this happens, they go on to do this, 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 and this, which is not doesn't always happen. Yeah. But we're left with this big gaping question of like, maybe it's a cool gimmick in a way. Maybe it's a cool moment where we're kind of like, oh, wow, you know, sort of moment. I mean, yeah, it blew me away when I was a kid. Of course. But now, yeah, yeah, but why? But why? And, like, why, what's the point of having Sam doing all these multiple leaps in the Oswald just to get up to that moment? Yeah. Is it truly, like, he got stuck in Oswald in some way? I don't know. Yeah. It's going to be, because as as season five goes on, Sam is going to start taking on more traits of the people that he leaps into. This becomes a regular thing. Right. This becomes a regular thing in the fifth season. So it is... It's interesting from that aspect that somehow Sam got 
stuck leaping in around in Oswald and like nobody was there to save Jackie all along but it just seems kind of like a lazy cheat to get out of the end of the episode yes it does because because it's been hammered into our head that success does not dictate leaping yeah why not have this be one that Sam fails yeah why not have this be a moment where Al looks at Sam and says maybe some things are supposed to happen yeah maybe there are some things we can't change yeah like maybe that would have been the better lesson maybe maybe Sam standing there in the hospital staring at the shocked distraught bloody dressed Mrs. Kennedy isn't about like you saved her too maybe instead it's about this moment of like maybe there are some things we just can't change leap out yeah maybe the lesson there by god time fate whoever the bartender and mirror image is yeah you can't change everything and you can't always win so value the wins when you get them because there are some times when you're not going to be able to but it doesn't mean you're going to stop and it doesn't mean you're going to stop learning yeah i mean how how brilliant would that have been i don't know i mean it could have been a lesson of like hey this is why we do the small stuff Yeah. Because there are just some big things that can't be changed. Yeah. Yeah. Or I I mean I you you're you're more educated on this history. What happened to Clint Hill afterwards? Uh, yeah, I mean he actually stayed on um and, and it, I think he ended up being uh, a bodyguard for um, for Jackie for a while actually throughout some of the 60s um, because she had to have a secret service detail um, he's still alive he's actually the only the last surviving person who was in the limousine that day oh, wow. um, yeah um, he's given lots of yeah he remained assigned to Mrs. Kennedy and the children until after the 64 election so he was basically around for a full year um, wow. as, as, as her you know, bodyguard. Uh, he was assigned to Johnson after that. Um, he became special agent in charge of presidential protection. Um, yeah. He retired in 75. Um, he's got to be like over 100 years. 88 years old. Okay. Yeah. In 1975, he was interviewed by Mike Wallace and he tearfully surmised that if he had reached the vehicle a second earlier, he would have been able to take the sh- third shot and shield Kennedy from the kill shot. That's another thing. That's another thing. His job as a human being is to be, yeah. You know, like, like it's, it's, those are the types of things that get lost Mm -hmm. in this. The other thing that gets lost is like Lee Harvey Oswald had two daughters and a wife and a brother and a mother. You want to talk about bad people? Let's talk about the people that after Oswald's body was exhumed to verify with dental records that it was actually him and not a Russian double because some asshole won a a case in court not that long ago, mind you. This is only like six or seven years ago. Won a case in court to have the body exhumed so that they could prove that it was Oswald and not a Russian double that they said that it was, which had proved that it was indeed Oswald. 
that the funeral home, which said the casket had water damage and they wanted to replace it with a better casket, which they did, then tried to auction off the casket that originally contained the body of Oswald until his brother got an injunction against them, was then awarded the money that they had raised for the auction, was then given back the coffin so that it could be properly destroyed, because we're talking about someone that has been vilified to such a degree that his own brother, his only response is, destroy it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what else would you do with it? Sure. sure. Yeah. But, like, try to just think about the human cost of this. Think about the fact that his oldest daughter was a cheerleader in high school and literally had hurled from her from the stands the insults of your daddy killed the president, your daddy's in hell. Now, she has said, to her credit, that it didn't affect her, that she didn't, like, it didn't land on her because she didn't know her father. Yeah. She was two years old. Yeah. You know, that it wasn't, that it, that she felt very disconnected from it all. That she knew, she was aware, you know, that, that her father apparently did these things or whatever, you know. But, like, for one fucking second, yeah. you know, think about the distraught mother who had to be paraded into a downtown Dallas police station and told that we think your son did this. Think about the police officer whom Oswald probably, with a good degree of certainty, did actually murder that same day. You know, who, who's become a footnote, J.D. Tippett, mm-hmm. in history, basically. Like, all of these things. Yeah. It's like... Or Tippett or Patsy. There are some conspiracy theories that say that Tippett was sent to the theater to kill Oswald to finish the story, to finish the conspiracy, and Oswald got the better of him. Yeah. Right, exactly. You know, watch the watch the interviews of Oswald at like twelve o'clock in the morning on November twenty third when he's paraded out in front of the press. Mm-hmm. Watch his face when they say, "Did you kill the president?" Again, I can be fooled. Anybody can be fooled. That's not the face of this madman. That's not the face mm-hmm. of this of this, you know, maybe it is the face of an assassin. Maybe it is. But in that moment, all I can see is a human being who's saying like nobody's said that to me. Nobody's told me I'm the killer. Mm. You know, it, it's like contrast that with the fact that he delivered his famous I'm a Patsy line before anyone had confronted him with the assassination. You know, mm-hmm. like there's, there's, I mean, look, there's tons of evidence, I think, on both sides. It's the reason why the conspiracy theories persist. Sure. I guess my argument is, is it's just like, why, why can't we just, why, why can't we think about these people as people? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Have a little compassion and a little empathy. Let's instead try and think about what was it that set off Lee Harvey Oswald to kill John F. Kennedy when he had just like not even a full year earlier because it was I think it was October of 62 when when Kennedy made his you know strong remarks about civil rights for instance at a barbecue a backyard barbecue someone had asked Lee what he thought about this in a very derisive manner like what do you think about you know the president supporting you know civil rights sure. and Lee Harvey Oswald was like was like, I think it's a great thing mm-hmm. I think it's absolutely what we should be doing in this country you know what turned him from that 
to being the man to go to the, you know, yeah, like, and we don't ask those types of questions enough. Yeah. And I think that unfortunately that this episode is an example of what's what becomes of that when we don't. Mm-hmm. It becomes this sort of weird piece of certainty for a creator to say he did it and he's a bad, horrible person. And I have a pen and I have a TV show and I can and I can show that to you. What was Tom Selleck doing in the <laughs> fall of nineteen ninety two? Right? Uh, I, I, I will uh, to you, Sam, and anybody listening, uh, if you are interested, go read 112263 because. Uh, and I would be interested to get your take because the latter portion of that novel, the protagonist, he moves into the apartment below Oswald and Marina mm. and he eavesdrops on them mm. because he's trying to get proof yeah. that Oswald is the assassin. And what's interesting is that King started writing this book in the 1970s. And he realized he did not, he did not have the bandwidth yeah. to do it. And he was able to write this book thirty some odd years later because he was Stephen fucking King, right. and he could <laughs> hire researchers. And so, uh, Oswald's life in the last couple of years of his uh, Oswald, his day to day in the last couple of years of his life was very accurate. Because like they were like piece together like what historians could say like what Oswald was doing. Yeah day to day so yeah it's interesting yeah. to go check out and before then you get this beautiful story of the protagonist settling down in the small Texas town and falling in love and, and being a, a high school English teacher and drama coach and, 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 and getting some guy who can't act to play Lenny and, of Mice and Men in the high school production is a really fucking beautiful book I really, Go check it out. I have a copy of it upstairs, <clears throat> yeah. actually. My sister-in-law gave it to me. I, I've been told many times to read it. But again, I, I, like, I, it's going to sound so silly to some people, and 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 uh, yeah, maybe you'll understand it. But it, it just is. It's been difficult for me to mm. to visit that for a while now. You know, it's been. I mean, sure. I mean, you played the you played the person yeah. down to their head. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it doesn't, and, and that's not something that happens with everything. Like, there's there's a few roles though where that that has absolutely happened, and that's one of them. And I think it's because it's the weight. You know, I, I ended up having the opportunity to write the foreword to the play with the published version of the play, um, and that's and that was the name of it. You know, the the because of the weight of um, the name of the play is Interview JFK, but the 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 the, the, the um, the forward that I wrote, you know, is, is, is the way of JFK because it is. It's 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 it's, it's, it's you know, it's it's heavy. It's a heavy thing to carry when you when especially when you want to try to get it right. You know, you're not impersonating someone. You know, you're trying to truthfully exist as this human being for this finite amount of time while you're on that stage, and behave as them. And 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 it's. I think it's one thing. There's there's ghosts that are involved with that. You know, there's echoes of things that are involved with that. It's the same thing. You know, when I played Proctor in The Crucible, it's like, you know, there's 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 a, there's a weight to to certain characters, you know, fictional or otherwise. And so, yeah, it was just it's been difficult for me, quite frankly, to approach some of that, and still is. And it's and it's and I'm very emotional about it. And 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 I think you know maybe part of that is also born out of the fact that, you know, when I was a kid. I think I was in first grade and we were, you know, each given a president that we had to write about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I so desperately, for whatever reason, wanted JFK. Mm-hmm. Um, 
part of our fractured American psyche, I think, is that as the children of the baby boomers, we are saddled with this burden of what the assassination meant to them that we could never fully experience because we are separate from it. It happened before us. But the weight of it exists and carries on and echoes through the ages, and we're left with the pieces of that. I have a very, very good friend of mine who was a groomsman in my wedding. His father, you know, was a school principal, spent hours and hours and hours and hours researching the assassination, wrote papers, gave lectures at conventions, you know, Mm -hmm. about the assassination. I mean, my friend has literally said to me that he feels like portions of his childhood were lost because his father was spending more time with his books about Kennedy's assassination than he was, you know, with the kids. And that's not a, and that's not, that's not a unique situation. Like, Mm -hmm. there are people that that is true for. Mm -hmm. Because that's the burden of this event, of this singular event. And it's the reason why we're sitting here talking about it in the context of this episode. You know, for hours, as opposed to just being able to give, you know, an hour and a half, two hours about this episode like we normally would and move on. Where the fuck was Tom Selleck? Where was Tom Selleck? Bring it back on a a somewhat lighter note, but also somewhat heavy. That seems very contradictory. Do you know who Von Meter is? name sounds really familiar, but I can't place it. This is one of the most fascinating footnotes of JFK's assassination that I, 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 just, find, I just find really fascinating. Von Meter was a comedian who, uh, a year before the assassination, he was propelled to fame with his album, The First Family, which was basically like one long yeah. comedy sketch where he impersonated just a dead-on... JFK, he was on Carson doing doing his JFK character, he did tours around the country um, and one story I wrote, at one point in time this album and its subsequent sequel, he was so popular off of this, he was invited into the Rat Pack mm-hmm. probably the most famous person in America at this time, at least the famous performer at this time um, nothing like this had ever been done before with the president. Uh, people close to JFK encouraged him to to disassociate with it, to condemn it, basically. And JFK thought it was funny. Yeah, he gave out copies of the album to his friends, made jokes like arguing with, like with his brothers, like no, we think it sounds more like Bobby, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh. Von Meter died. Von Meter, he went by, back to his first name, he went by Abner Meter, and he died pretty much broke mm. in small town Maryland. He, his career never recovered from this. He talks, about when he, was, he talks about when he was killed in Milwaukee because he landed in Milwaukee on November 22nd, and he got into the back of a cab, and the cab driver said, hey, did you hear about the president in Dallas? And by this point, he was so used to being recognized wherever he went and people were telling him JFK jokes all the time, he just assumed that the guy was setting up a joke. And he goes, no, how does it go? And before the cabbie could answer, the news came through the radio that JFK was dead. Yeah. Uh, copies of the album were pulled off the shelves immediately because the studio did not want to give off the idea that they were trying to capitalize on it. Ten days after the assassination, Lenny Bruce took the stage. And people were wondering what the fuck Lenny Bruce was going to say about this. Yeah. And legend has it, he paced back and forth on stage 
for like just long enough time to like build up the anticipation of what is Lenny Bruce going to say about this. And he steps up to the mic and he finally says, Von Meter is fucked. <laughs> and he was. Yeah. Like he tried to rebuild his career after that. And he lived in Louisville, Kentucky for a time and then he eventually like died in Maryland. But yeah. Yeah. It's a weird, I feel a weird connection to it because Von Meter, as a young man, he kind of looked like my dad. Mm. And as an older man, he looked like my dad, like older if my if my mm-hmm. dad had lived beyond fifty six. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's just kind of, yeah, weird. Uh, but it's just he he is just a footnote in history, and like just swept away. Yeah, as a result of something he couldn't control at all. Yeah. Speaking of dads, another yeah. little interesting side note: Woody Harrelson's dad. Who is a convicted hitman? Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a long time, um, there were uh, allegations that he was involved in the assassination of JFK. Um, there are photographs um, there that um, they, they call it the three tramps photo. Mm-hmm. It's actually it's, it's talked about in, in in the movie JFK as well, and you, you can read more about it online. But the, the basically the after the immediate aftermath of the assassination, obviously the police doing whatever they could. They were trying to round people up. They were trying to you mm-hmm. know figure out if the if the assassin was still around, what was going on. And so there were these three tramps that were arrested and, and led away, and then not, nothing was ever heard of them again. Sure, yeah. And there is the, the famous picture of the three tramps, and one of the men looks strikingly like Woody Harrelson's father. And Woody Harrelson's father, when he was arrested um, in, in 1980, um, apparently said that he killed JFK. Like he he it, 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 he was high on cocaine, whatever. Um, he said that uh, uh, yeah that, that he had killed Kennedy, um, mm-hmm. and, and that he would later go on to say that he was using that as a way to try to get to make sure that that he wasn't killed because it was a, a, during a police standoff so it was his way of being like I have information on the assassination of John F Kennedy you need to hear me out mm-hmm. sort of thing yeah. um but but yeah it, it just kind of a fascinating little footnote it, and it's interesting too um that uh uh that there is a that to this day, uh, there are forensic artists that have matched photographs of Harrelson to the photographs of the youngest looking of the three tramps, um, and, and it's one of those yeah. things where it's no way of knowing for sure. Like, yeah. was he really there? Did he have anything to do with it? Was he there and didn't have anything to do with it? Just mm-hmm. amazing coincidence. Is it somebody who just looks like him? Is it not him at all? Yeah. You know, and so it's like it, it, it again. There's just so many. Weird things, and Woody Harrelson has spoken a bit, mm-hmm. you know, about about this, and the yeah. fact that his dad was a fucking hitman. Like it's, yeah, he did all right. Yeah, he did, he did do okay. all right. Apparently, they uh, they apparently they did have some contact towards the end of um, of his life. He died in prison, but mm-hmm. uh, there were there, I guess there was some contact. I mean, clearly the relationship was estranged and strained to say the least. But yeah. Um, you know, one other thing to, to, to throw on to all of this, uh, in the interest of time not going in too deep, is that, and, and thinking about the human cost of it, it's like, Lee was shot and murdered the next day. Mm-hmm. If you watch this episode, and you don't know that, or you watch this episode even and you do know that, I don't see how you can come out of this episode without thinking, like, he got what he deserved. And I just think that that's a horrible thing. I do. 
even if he did commit this heinous, ghastly act, how is it... We shouldn't be okay with that. We shouldn't be okay with the fact that it was that easy for Jack Ruby to just run right up, Mm. pump some shots into him on live fucking television. Yeah. There was... uh, I I know I keep going back to the book as, as an epilogue to the book. It's not part of the story. It's just kind of like Stephen King, like, setting up his thing of, of like, I'm not going to push it down your throat, but yeah, I do think Oswald is a lone assassin just because I think things things happen, and sometimes the simplest explanation is the easiest one. He talks about, like, what they're able to piece together from Jack Ruby deciding to go down that day, and so many things had to line up just right yeah. for Jack Ruby to be in the right place at the right time. And I can't remember all, but it's been a couple of years. But just to know, like, as they were getting ready to walk Oswald out, Oswald complained of being cold. Yeah. So they had to stop for a few minutes to get him a sweater before they transported him. And if, like, just that one thing, if that hadn't happened, Os- uh, uh, Ruby would not have gotten there in time to do it. Yeah. 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 No, I know. Stop. Yeah. It, 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 there's just so many, yeah, so many potential coincidences and, and, and whatnot. And, it, and and sometimes when I think, like when we talk about, we, we live in some very trying times right now. Right. But just, what a weird 72 hours yeah. that had to have been for America and yeah. the world. Yeah. Almost 48 hours to the day uh, that Kennedy was pronounced dead, Oswald was pronounced dead. Almost 42, literally almost 48 hours to the minute. 1.07 p.m. on November 24th, 1963. And, that, I mean, that's the thing, like, I mean, we, we've known this as part of history for, you know, for as long as we've been alive, obviously. And it's just like, I was thinking about it, and you're like, what a weird 48 hours yeah. of... Yeah. Another interesting side note about all this is that we talk about the effect it had on the world. Yeah. Um, this takes it back to the episode two, not just the event. Uh... As anyone who knows, I'm a huge fan of Doctor Who. Mm. It's probably literally the piece of media that I love most, even mm. more than our beloved Quantum Leap. Sure. I, I, I My collection is, is pretty yeah. gigantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I um, have always been fascinated by the fact that Doctor Who premiered on November 23rd, 1963, the very day after Kennedy was assassinated. The first episode was actually preempted by about five minutes because of news coverage oh, wow. of Kennedy's assassination. Um, the, uh, the 30th anniversary of Kennedy's assassination falls one day prior to the 30th anniversary of the premiere of Doctor Who. Mm. Doctor Who has been off the air at this point for four years. Mm. Um, however, in Radio Times, which is the UK magazine, like TV Guide, basically, Uh, the listing for this episode of Quantum Leap, which aired in the UK on November 22nd and 23rd of 1993, uh, was basically marginalized by the Radio Times coverage for the 30th anniversary of Doctor Who. (laughs) So in this weird (laughs) twist of like Doctor Who, basically its premiere time being overshadowed by this huge world shattering event. Now this fictional you know, television program with its big season five premiere is overshadowed yeah. by the 30th anniversary of this television program that premiered Tommy the Lane day after. Jeremy. Yeah. 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 It's kind of interesting. And there's actually a, you know, there are a couple of instances where, um, Dr. Who is kind of 
you know, delved into uh, what happened that day. There's a novel, Who Killed Kennedy, which is an interesting kind of outlier amongst Doctor Who novels Mm -hmm. um, in that the Doctor is not the main character. Uh, It's more about one of his uh, early companions who is, you know, kind of not there very long and, and some very interesting things happen that kind of posit that there was, you know, this obviously this huge conspiracy surrounding it. Um, there are some radio plays that uh, uh, are audio plays that this company called Big Finish, which is incredible. Uh, like, one of my dream jobs would be to work for them one day, hmm. uh, where they uh, dive into it and touch on it just a little bit as a part of their um, 50th anniversary hmm. um, um, celebrations. But for the most part, other than that one novel I mentioned, uh, I think Doctor Who has, has mostly, especially the televised adventures, kind of stayed away from it a bit. Uh-huh. They touch on it in, in, in one of the episodes during Matt Smith's run. Sure. But they've never, but they never like go out and out and say like, you know, show, try sure. to show what happened or whatever. Sure. Um, and obviously it's a uniquely British show, so it's not, but again, being involved in time travel, being a, again, this world shattering event, not just, yeah, you got you know, it. Yeah. Yeah. It not yeah. just being a, um, yeah, not just being a, a confined to the U S yeah. You know, Khrushchev, was saddened by the mm-hmm. news that Kennedy had been shot. You know what I mean? Like, this was not... People weren't pumping their fists in, in certain corners of the world happy that it happened, you know? Sure. It wasn't death to America. It wasn't. Uh, the most recent touch on I've seen it on pop culture, maybe this is a good note to wrap it up on, we're going to tie it into the Oscars. We're recording this on Oscar Sunday, we are by the way. Um, in The Irishman, um, mm. there's, there's a scene where all the main characters, including... Al Pacino's Jimmy Hoffa, they're sitting in a diner, news breaks that the, the president has been assassinated, and they do this weird thing, and I, I can't tell what they were trying to convey, of like, whether Hoffa is happy about it, mm. or whether Hoffa had something to do with it. Yeah. And that's, it, it's, just, it's just one scene where the news breaks, and, and Al Pacino just kind of gives this Blake, you, like, you can't, like, really read what he's thinking, but it's Jimmy Hoffa, he just goes back to what he's doing. Right. And then we move on. Well, you know, and, and I, I guess it, we don't want to go into it hardly at all, but I guess it is worth noting that some of the conspiracy theories, of course, involve the mafia being involved, yep. CIA involvement, FBI involvement, uh, KGB involvement, all sorts. I mean, pretty much anything you can possibly imagine as far as there being involvement from some sector of government. Uh, there's, there was a book that came out a couple of years ago that literally, like, basically said LBJ did it, you know, like, that it was a conspiracy that started with him, that he was, like, we have to kill him so I can take over. Like, the whole thing. It was a coup d'etat. Like, I mean... We yeah. would be remiss if we didn't throw out the possibility of time traveler. Time traveler? Yeah. Rogue time travel. A collection of time travelers. Collection of time travelers. Uh, have you seen Watchmen the movie? Yes. Uh, not in the graphic novel, but in the movie, in the opening montage, they throw out the idea that the comedian That's right. is, is the shooter on the grassy knoll. Yeah. Uh, just part of like establishing the world opening montage. Yeah. Just, just that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. You know, we it, we we could keep, we could keep on going with all the, the oh my pop god stuff. Yeah, seventeen hundred pages. Vincent Vincent Bugliosi wrote the Warren Commission report is 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 thousands of pages. I mean, like the, yeah, I mean we've been talking now for like three hours, and I mean this would just be this would just be the prologue to yeah. a podcast about the assassination. I you hope know? you are downloading this connected to Wi Fi. No shit, and you're not using your data. Anyway, so should we get to, has your opinion about this episode changed at all in, in talking about it? Well, okay. So, 
I'll say, I, 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 I mean it for real this time. I will say this in closing. The post scene that we get after the leap out is all about Kennedy. Yeah. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. I believe, I believe he was a, a good man in spite of all his foibles. Sure. But again, I'm left with this feeling of like, Oswald got killed, you know, like, like a lot of shit happened. Sure. It's great to lionize this human being, but again, when Quantum Leap succeeds at its best, it's about human beings. Sure. And unfortunately, I feel like Belisario takes a bit of an inhumane look at this person, and it's easy to vilify him. I get it. I'm just saying in the context of now, today, it would be really, really nice if, if maybe we created a three-dimensional person that we connected to and maybe were uncomfortable with the fact that we connected to them and maybe had to question our motives for vilifying him, etc. You know, it would be sure. interesting. It's absolutely the right choice for there to be no leap out. There is no leap out. There is no leap into <laughs> leaping of the shrew. Thank goodness. Um, it just, we get the leap effect, and then the pictures of JFK and the we get the leap effect of, of like showing Clint Hill actually standing in the hospital. That's right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, which is which is a really cool little yeah. shot. Although I could not find that original photo, so I don't know if it's a doctored photo, which would actually be kind of hilarious if it was. But I couldn't find. <laughs> yeah. But I couldn't find. The I photo. never questioned it. Um, but anyway, uh, and then we get this montage of the funeral, etc. All this sort of stuff. Pictures of Jackie. Like a lot of yeah. focuses on Jackie because Sam saved her. Um, absolute right choice not to have a leap out. The sweet, the 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 Lee Harvey yeah. Oswald suite. It plays. It's beautiful, etc. My ultimate feeling in this episode hasn't changed a bit. Yeah, it has changed a little bit. I think I probably like it a little bit less than I did coming into it. I do think that when I, I wrote this to sum up my thoughts in my three pages of notes that I took, it feels, this episode feels like a Twilight Zone. Maybe not a Twilight Zone episode so much as maybe the Twilight Zone of Quantum Leap. I don't know. And the reason why I say that is because it's just, it just feels very reminiscent in general, I think, of the Twilight Zone, of this idea that, like, we're, something's a little off, especially compared to what we want, know, and love of Quantum Leap. Mm-hmm. And the twist at the end feels suitably Twilight Zone-ish, I guess. Um, I don't know. Just a little bit. I can bit. see that. Yeah. This feels, especially considering we compared the show in the past to the Twilight Zone, yeah. I feel like in some ways this almost ends up being the most Twilight Zone of all Quantum Leap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I think after talking about it, I like it a little bit less. I think I, I think I see it more self indulgent than I did even in the beginning. I think at times it's incredibly atmospheric in the right way. Um, I think that it, it's I, I like being unsettled by it. I like that it's something different. I like that it takes some risks. But I think that the story gets sacrificed because Don Belisario is trying to make a point. And I just again, I think it's the worst reason to create something ever in the, in this in this avenue in this venue. Yeah. If he wanted to do it, he could have made a documentary. He could have written a paper. He could have tried to get his TV movie of the week made or whatever, but I think for creating an episode of Quantum Leap, I just doesn't, it does, I, I just, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, I don't know, I'm conflicted. There's some really beautiful stuff that comes out of it. I mean, there's great individual moments yeah. that I, I, I like the, like the grittiness of the first, you know, the first half of, yeah. the, of the thing. I like just like the way the, like the, like the bar fight was shot uh, and beautiful moments in the second half of the, in the second part of the episode. But ultimately, yeah, this episode, and it never occurred to me until like watching it this morning. It, it, this episode for me in my, in my head takes place outside of the canon of Quantum Leap. 
this does not exist. Uh, it all doesn't exist. But this particular episode doesn't doesn't live in the canon. This was uh, just like this little outside story that Don Belisario created. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah I can kind of I can kind of get behind that. It's interesting because you know there are a lot of people online reading some of the reviews. There are a lot of people who really like this episode a lot. Um, there are some people who I think they haven't watched it in a while. They like the subject matter. Well, they like what it's touching on. Go back and rewatch the episode. And it, let's talk. It, it's so fascinating you say that because yes, there is uh, an article on birthmoviesdeath.com titled Quantum Leap Told the Best JFK Assassination Story Ever and it is clear reading this article that the person has not watched the episode in a very long time. That they are basically just using their memory of the episode sure. to say this was a cool way to tell the story. Yeah. Uh, Tor.com which you know you can take or leave as is. I don't know. I enjoy some of the stuff that's up there. Um of course they're a publisher publishing science fiction and fantasy novels. They did a, a Quantum Leap rewatch. The weird thing about the rewatch, which was eight years ago, they didn't rewatch all the episodes. They like cherry picked episodes. Okay. And so this was like the next to the last episode that they did on their rewatch or whatever. Sure. The interesting thing is, is as I read the article it, uh, or, or the blog post or whatever we want to call it, it's very non-committal. Like it's almost like the person was like, I don't know how I feel about this episode. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. It exists. And maybe that's kind of where I am. I don't know. I. It's not... To me, as I watch it and I think about it, it's not a bad episode of Quantum Leap in the same way that Americanization of Machiko is, or Portrait of Troyan is, or... You know what I mean? Like, there are worse episodes. I don't know. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm still sticking this up there as one of the worst. Mm. I would have never have said that before. But yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people out there that really like it. Again, <laughs> you have fond memories and, and you like that it touched on a subject matter that you found interesting. Go back and pick and pick apart, like really examine. Like I said, design elements, great. Acting elements, great. Really pick apart the story and the motivation behind it. And yeah. Yeah. So here's an interesting thing. The Museum of Broadcast Communication has a... Um, archive record of this episode uh and they title the episode the oswald conspiracy um they title each individual part lee harvey oswald part one subtitled leaping on a string and lee harvey oswald part two leap to judgment which is which is interesting i I guess that this is um uh for archival purposes so maybe when the episode was registered at some particular point, whether with copywriters, etc., whatever, that that was how it was presented. Yeah. Um, which is which is interesting. Um, yeah, I I just kind of I, I had some tabs pulled open that I was going to reference and didn't end up referencing them, which is totally fine. Uh, but anyway. Um, yeah, our friend over at the MacGyver Project, I wasn't a fan of this one too bad. Um, he's clearly fascinated by, he points out some things, um, you know, for instance, like, why did Oswald leave the rifle behind? Um, why did he go back to his house, change his clothes, grab a pistol and go to the movies? Why, you know, there's all these unanswered questions. And again, it's the, I, it, it's, yeah, it's one of those things that rubs me wrong about Belisario being like, this is fact. It's like, no, Don, it isn't. What was Tom Selleck doing? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I don't know. For some reason, I'm, I'm, I'm. It's provoked such interesting discussion and interesting thoughts. For whatever reason, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, 
I'm hesitant to condemn the episode too much, and yet at the same time, I, I like it's weird. I'm more quick to judge Belisario on this one than I am to judge the episode. Oh, sure. Is that strange? No, okay. because I mean, because like you, you got the script, but then you have all the design elements, and you have the acting, and you have the direction, and everything brought to it. And you have you, we have these characters that we know and love put into the story. It's I I, I like I guess I like so much that it is a darker, more mature version of Quantum Leap. Yeah. Than we often sure. get. It's nowhere in my top ten. Not in my top twenty. Not. Sure. I mean, it probably is towards the bottom. But yeah, for whatever reason, I'm hesitant to 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 as vociferously as you are condemn it. Yeah. No. But even still, it's still in my top tier TV. I mean, we're here. We're here talking. We are about here it. talking about it. Yeah. So yeah, there's something to be said for that. I do still. I do still think that it's potentially a template. In some ways, for what we for might get for the reboot. For, yeah. yeah. Now, it could go the complete other direction. And could go the direction of a lot of those other reboots that we've gotten. Like the MacGyver reboot and, you know, and, oh, yeah. uh, you know all these others where it's where it's almost tongue-in-cheek at times. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know. I don't know. Yeah. But, will a reboot of Quantum Leap have anything as awesome as this? It's season five of Quantum Leap. It's Quantum Leap season five right now. I can write a joke into the ground all day long. I love it. <laughs> all right. Should we wrap it up? And yeah. We will get back in the much lighter fare next week. Much prettier fare next week. <laughs> the leaping of the, the shrew. Leaping of the shrew. Thank you for, for listening for yeah. so long. This has got to be close to a four-hour episode. Yeah. It's up there. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you so very much. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. I want to stay